Hello, and welcome to the 25th annual award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. Oh, wait one second. I got something for you, buddy. Wait one second. I got something for you, buddy. Oh, no. Spouses hide your spouses. The Grave Slimer has entered the building. Kerchow. <laughs> I, I made that in... Oh, wow. I, I made that in GarageBand. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I oh, have... you have outdone yourself this week, Patrick. I'm a, I'm a weird man. I'm, we- I'm weird, much like... Uh... Uh, welcome to the Academy, everyone. We have uh, an episode that I, at least I have been very much looking forward to. Two of my favorite movies that I'm petrified to hear disparaged, but I will survive, you know, as things go. But um, Patrick, I know you were new to both of the movies this week. I'm really excited to hear what you have to say, but I'm also super excited for our great guest, and hear what they have to say so without further ado uh from the great improv team wild who have their own twitch stream now we'll be doing a show upcoming may 7th jessica svensgaard welcome to the academy thank you for having me oh it's so nice to have you on board for you know frankly we talked a little bit about it before we jumped on having yeah, the patience for, too to for six hours worth six, of movie six hours <laughs> <laughs> six hours worth of movies i think when we put this together we did not know al pacino generally rocked above the two and a half hour yeah. mark on almost every it's movie insane. he's involved in yeah he doesn't do anything uh short of epic until maybe we get to jack and jill i have a feeling if jack and jill's over two hours long you um, know what's crazy is i th- I don't know. It's like crossing the streams or something. I think it is something <laughs> insane. Like something I'm looking it up right now because it, it is much longer than you think Jack and Jill would be. I might be completely wrong, but I remember watching it for the first time and feeling insane. Oh, no, never mind. It's, it's <laughs> only an hour 30. It just feels like a three-hour film. <laughs> <laughs> that, that totally makes sense. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Is this long? No, it's not, actually, mm. but it is in my soul. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, thank you so much for uh, coming on and watching the films for us. That's it's so nice. Uh, before we jump into them, though, I know everybody's kind of on the edge of their seats to hear what we all have to say about these films. Uh, but, Jessica, uh, got to ask. What is your alto biography? Your me- early memories of Pacino, maybe first movie you ever saw. We're all we all live here in Southern California, so perhaps you've actually seen him. I don't know at a Chipotle or something like that. I don't know. Uh, what is your alto biography? Um, okay, I think the very first film I saw him in was The Godfather, which I watched in a film class in the one year that I attended community college. Um, and I think, I think I've only seen four Al Pacino movies, including these two, um, because I saw The Godfather, so I would have been like 18, 19 at the time, and then I saw 
Jack and Jill. <laughs> and then and I saw these two movies. And I think most of, yeah, most of my familiarity with Al Pacino was just as like a cultural touchstone was mostly people doing like impressions of him. Like I knew him from like Bill Hader doing him on SNL. And I hadn't actually, because mm. when I was looking at his filmography, like looking into these two movies, it's like, oh yeah, he does kind of, a, a lot of the same type of movie, which is like um, action dramas, which are not my like first choice, um, not movies I'm going to run to the theater to see, especially when they are um, male centered and hyper violent, like <laughs> like both of both of these movies right. are, I yeah. Um, and so <laughs> I guess that shouldn't be surprising that I haven't seen that much of his stuff. Like I said, I was aware cause he has so many like iconic performances and he has such a big personality, but I think I've seen just these four films. I, you know, it's like, uh, Tom was talking about this. It's weird. Like, I feel like, uh, yeah, Al Pacino, uh, he looms large on the culture, but like, if you get like, it's almost like, if, uh, I think it could be like, you know, could be a gender thing, could be an age thing, because I think it is, like, a thing, too, where, like, there's, like, certain, like, if you were born, like, before 1980, or after 1985, or before 1980, I think there is, like, this, like, delineation point where people, like, the amount of, like, Pacino, uh, like, radiation, (laughs) the amount of Pacino exposure, Mm -hmm. yeah, the Pacinium, like, your Pacinium exposure just goes down significantly, because, like, I, like, I've only, I saw, like, The Devil's Mm -hmm. Advocate a few times, saw Panic in Needle Park, uh, but like I, you know, but I, my, my Al, relative Al Pacino exposure was pretty yeah, nil. I've never well. seen Scarf. Oh, I've never seen Scarface. Um, I've never seen Carlito's Way, which are kind mm. of like two, I feel like very cliche, like guy movies, like m- maybe less so in our generation, but like in the early 2000s, that was always like the joke is that like men love the movie Scarface and women love uh, Sex in the City. <laughs> um I would, oh, I've, yeah. two, I've seen another gang. one. I forgot he was yeah. in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So I've seen a fifth Al Pacino movie. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah, we've noticed that actually in almost all, in Patrick and all of our guests, that um, a lot of people have come on and basically said, we have seen like two or three and mostly the ones you asked us yeah. to watch. <laughs> which I... I, I <laughs> Patrick and I talked a lot about it over text off the air about so I was born in 1982 so I am above the um Patrick's demarcation oh, line yeah that he just said so I thought I've seen almost I've seen every one of these movies many <laughs> times my dad showed them to me like it was just kind of like part of and I was like oh this is what movie like if you like movies this is movie 101 and it's been such a surprise interesting surprise i'm not saying it's disappointing or positive positive or whatever but it's just kind of a surprise that he isn't yeah like he is like more of like bill Hader's impersonation of him or showing up as himself and jack and jill or like sitting courtside at a basketball game being kind of strange (laughs) yeah you know looking um so then being like the greatest actor alive which he was in the conversation for for in the 70s to the mid 80s which is really interesting you know what's interesting too is i just realized that uh he has he doesn't have like a big showy role that like actually you know what i take that back never mind because i was gonna say he doesn't have like a big role kind of like uh jack nicholson in the joker 
that would like ingratiate yes. kids yeah. to like uh but then like I remember Dick Tracy. He's like He's a the big, villain um, in Dick Tracy. Yeah. Which he got he got nominated for an Oscar for that. that. That is so wild. Yeah. And that's true though. Dick Tracy isn't as like it's not like Dick Tracy's like big, but it's not like because uh, I remember like I saw Batman uh my parents rented Batman for me as a youth. You know, never rented Dick Tracy. So maybe Dick Tracy's not like as, uh, doesn't loom as large. I don't think it's stuck around. I don't think it's no. stuck around in the cultural uh, landscape <laughs> yeah. at all. I guess it is like, yeah, it's like tantamount to like uh, making a movie based on like the Bazooka Joe comics yeah. or something. Just not. <laughs> Again, though, I was, um, I believe I mentioned previously, I was Dick Tracy two years in a for row Halloween. for <laughs> Halloween. In the early 90s. <laughs> so, and uh, before that, I was Peter Vankman from Ghostbusters mm. for two years. Nice. Running before that, because my mom made both costumes. So they need to get oh, a little bit I'm of a run. I'm all about being the same thing for Halloween four, five, six years in a row. If the costume's there, wear it. Changing costumes is, yeah. is overrated. Like, if you love, like, making your own costumes, that's dope. But um, I, was, I was the FedEx Pope for, like, five years in a row. Yeah, Perfect. if it if Perfect. it works, it works. If it's a wit, you know, I've been a doctor because I bought a pair of scrubs that I stitched my own name into. <laughs> I've been a doctor for like five years, and it's great. It's it's comfortable too. Which the older you get, a comfortable. Has Halloween anyone costume. ever gone into a sudden cardiac arrest at a Halloween party and had everyone turn to you and be like, "Quick, perform CPR"? What a what a thrilling moment that would be. That would be if. If I, if I pulled it off completely, it would be a top five <laughs> moment of my yeah. life, I think. Or if you performed, like, an emergency <laughs> tracheotomy in your Scrubs yeah. costume. Based on something I saw in, like, season two of 24 yeah. that Jack Bauer did or something like that. That's my entire <laughs> medical basis. <laughs> and then, like, you're leaving, and they're like, oh, thank you, Dr. Saunderson. And you turn around, and you go, I'm, I'm not a doctor. And then you you go away, and then like five minutes later, everyone's like, "Did he really have to do a tracheotomy? Maybe he didn't <laughs> have to do that." It's weird because uh, Brenda sprained her ankle. I don't <laughs> yeah. know why he did that tracheotomy. Yeah, I don't know why he stuck up. a pen in a her tra- throat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what doctors do. You know that. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna need. I'm gonna need a, oh, a that'd be funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, it, it is. Um, it is interesting and like how like to get back to Al, kind of like he, he. It's kind of funny. He was so acclaimed and was like so nominated and all this kind of stuff. For him to like be in this position of being kind of like a guy people do impersonations yeah. of is basically his claim to fame. It's very strange. And something else Patrick and I keep have been thinking about too, is he doesn't have, we did Meryl Streep mm-hmm. in our previous season of the show. And she's kind of, Oh, I know it's yeah. scheduling. Didn't yeah. sliding doors. Scheduling didn't work out. I guess I, I have seen almost every Meryl Streep movie. Um, and so I'm glad I, at least I was exposed to something new in being the guest on this season mm-hmm. instead. Yeah, no, I, we're very excited about that. Yeah, it's just, it's just very interesting how Meryl Streep's been able, kind of same generation. I mean, she Meryl Streep had a famous romance with Al Pacino's most known scene partner, John Cazale. Like they were running in the same circles as young people, 
and just how well she's how consistent she's been able to be throughout you know 40 some odd years of her career and to maintain a spot in the public eye and not just become i mean i love alan he got nominated for irishman two years ago so it's not like he's completely off the scene but yeah definitely definitely differing different paths yeah but uh path of more restraint from meryl she um she she really her consistency is especially in kind of the movie business is really impressive and and admirable and her her kind of awareness of what she does well variety too like she can play every different type of person whereas like in mm-hmm. once again in my limited knowledge of uh al pacino's actual movies and more of like his his character archetype in like american culture he kind of plays maybe more one type of person very well mm-hmm. yeah and it yeah and yeah we definitely watched two today that are kind of in the second portion of his career you know in the 90s post scent of a woman he did lean very hard into what Patrick and I are calling his yes. hua <laughs> acting style. Yeah, um, big hua energy. You, and yeah, you know, Meryl Streep never, she doesn't have those ticks that she leans hard on, like um, her contemporaries like Al Pacino or even Robert De Niro do. Um, and I think that that has just helped her so much. And I think that, you know, Patrick and I brought it up too is, Neither, no, none of them have a Devil Wears Prada yes. like Meryl Streep yeah. does that kind of brought her back into a new Let generation Let alone a Mamma Mia. Yes, yeah. absolutely. The Mamma Mia. Absolutely. Oh, I mean, yes. Two massive hits. Oh my gosh. Oh my Mamma God. Mia. And Al Pacino. I think Mamma <laughs> Mia remains. I'm pretty sure it remains the highest grossing film in box office history in the United Kingdom. Or at least it held that title for at least a few years. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, British people love ABBA. That is like a stereotype that is real. (laughs) All all of Europe does. British people love ABBA. We as Americans are the ones sleeping on ABBA. Yeah, we got. Uh, I think we ABBA. mentioned it on our Mamma Mia episode. I had never heard of ABBA until I started working at the record store oh when I, in college. And everybody would come in and like ask about them, but I finally heard them, and I was like. This is what everybody's into. <laughs> I was just like blown away by it because it just was not a band that was played yeah. in my house growing up. Because my parents are like of the like they're born in the early fifties, so they're definitely of like the Beatles kind of classic rock. summer of love. Yeah, classic classic rock was what we heard nonstop in my house. But you know, teach their own. If it's if it's groovy, they their songs are worm their way in your head better than almost any other musical act geniuses of melody and yeah oh absolutely and we should say it patrick and i were skeptical of mamma mia (laughs) after the first time we watched it yeah but became fans by the time by the second or third time we watched it (laughs) oh yeah i don't know i don't know the history of the stage musical but it's just absolutely wild that somebody took all of abba's songs and they were like i know what the natural plot form gathering all these songs should be yeah. and it's, uh, 
one girl has three potential fathers and they live in Greece and she's going to invite all of them to her wedding to find out who they are. And I'm like, how did they come up with that one? Hmm? Oh. Yeah. I guess they literally just like went with the, the no, title they... of the song Mamma Mia and they were like, what's the craziest possible thing I could come up with here? I'm not going to lie. Uh, I can see uh, Al Pacino could have played one yeah. of those dads. Yeah. Definitely. I think he could yeah. have. Yeah. 100%. I can, I'm yeah. thinking like uh, Stellan Skarsgård. Yes. Like I love like Stellan That was me too. Me yep. too. He's yeah. my personal favorite dad, so it's a shame yep. to see his little tattooed booty leave. But like, uh, you know, put the eyeball booty tattoos on Al Pacino. You're golden. You're golden. Bring him in there. Yeah. I, I mean, it's no, you can't screw with perfection. Everybody was perfectly cast <laughs> in that movie. We know that. Yes. From the, the weird. I, I speak as a bros. I'm a bros. I, I'm a Brosnan man. We, yeah, we discussed, we discussed it pre on a previous episode. Oh, Patrick a is yeah. a scars guard. I'm a scars I mean, guard. Yeah. I'm a Brosnan guy. I admire how hard he's trying. Yeah. Like he's not the world's greatest singer, but he's into it and he's sincere. And I can yeah, I, I can I be into that. I never care how really how good of a singer they are. That's not a huge concern to me. I would rather mm-hmm. see somebody like be really silly and ham it up as opposed to being like an amazing technical singer. Because what you get mm-hmm. with like oh absolutely like, and- oh you should cast more musical theater actors in those films. And on one hand, they are incredibly hardworking. They are incredible singers, but. Musical theater people really have an energy, an energy of um, mm. uh, desperation that, <laughs> that, that movie stars do not have. And again. I think being yeah. charming on the screen requires abandoning that desperation. And I think musical theater people have trouble doing that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pierce Brosnan strikes me as someone. He's like, I've done so much. I'm so I'm successful. I'm happy with everything. And I've always, and I'm sixty, and I've always wanted to yeah. be in a musical. So I'm just gonna like enjoy the heck, and we all get a wonderful Greek yes. vacation. Oh man! You know how how would you be in a bad the mood? The second doing one that? was apparently shot almost entirely on green screens. Yeah, they did that's not go to Greece for the second Ooh, that's, one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's uh, yeah. that's dark. I don't like. Yeah, it. so that's a severe bummer because like half the. Not a Mamma Mia episode, mind you, but uh, half the half half the fun is kind of the idea is seeing yeah. them. Oh yeah, I mean, like I, we're actually I plan on talking about that with both these movies to come. Is the joy of seeing real yeah. locations and seeing people move within? Like, I mean, jump to it briefly, but that scene where Al Pacino can't get phone connection in the Insider, he's in the Bahamas. They flew there and shot there. They had a Bahamas unit for that That's one crazy. scene. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> like, I, you, like, it's not a green screen in Atlanta, folks. It's, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, my, yeah, Michael Rock- Mann goes everywhere. Yeah, Rocket Raccoon um, doesn't come out of nowhere. And but like... yeah, on... <laughs> <laughs> Al Pacino, we got to... Neil, I'm joining your crew. <laughs> yeah. We got to stop oh, yeah, Okay, so real quick... <laughs> I don't know much about the Guardians of the Galaxy, but if the raccoon played by Bradley Cooper showed up in 1995 Los Angeles and was given the option of joining Al Pacino's rad crew of police officers <laughs> or Robert De Niro's equally rad crew of uh, crime guys, which side is he on? Oh, dude, he's a crime guy. He's a raccoon. Yeah, he's a crime guy. <laughs> uh, another... Another Size more. You're out. We got this raccoon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're out, Shiretto. 
Yeah. <laughs> we brought this new guy. His name's Rocket. Oh, yeah. He's good. He's real good. But, uh, you know, we should... Yeah. Let's jump into it. We've been inching into it. I I mean, Mama Me and Heat would be a absolutely tremendous yeah. double feature of, like, teams Ooh. and everything like that. Oh, I, I would that. I would happily watch it. Both films make me very happy. If, so, we, if we ever do, like, a screening, let's do a Mama <laughs> Me and Heat. Yeah, if, if my uh, dream comes true, the new Beverly lets me program one night of me. movies, we're doing Heat, and we're doing Mama <laughs> Me up. And we're doing them in that order. Mama Mia's playing second. People I need think it after reviewing a Heat. Real, yeah. yeah. After after they get done with me crying at the end of Heat, I can start laughing yeah. at after the end heat, of Heat. You need a good um, cry and then probably like a really good piss since you've been sitting down for three hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, I've seen it. I see it in the theater every time it plays here in L.A. And I have. I, I always leave at the part where he borrows Jeremy Piven's shirt. <laughs> That's the... Uh, <laughs> That's the scene I feel is the expense. The scene I don't need to see. I don't care as much about. I'm like, he's going to go yeah. after Wayne Grow and Van Zant in just a moment. <laughs> you know? But uh, we're starting it off a movie that has been talked about on innumerable podcasts. But um, 1995's Heat, written and directed by Michael Mann. Uh, here are those statistics. It was budgeted at $60 million dollars. Box office was 187.4 million. It did well, but a lot of people thought it actually could have done better. But I have a feeling they blamed um, the runtime mm. on it because it is a it is a long film. It has a 87 percent approval on Rotten Tomatoes. The critical consensus read. Though Al Pacino and Robert De Niro share but a handful of screen minutes together, Heat is an engrossing crime drama that draws compelling performances from its stars and confirms Michael Mann's mastery of the genre. Um, this film was not nominated for any Academy That's Awards. bonkers to me. What I'm interested to know what was nominated because this feels like not, not only like a good movie, but like also kind of like an Oscar bait movie and not in a bad way, but just in that, like it has so many stars in it and it's like directed by like an all time director and is like hits every beat so perfectly that that shocks me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's one that's kind of like grown in esteem over the years to the point now where I, I imagine Patrick, are you looking up 95's yeah. Oscar winner? Oh, um, so I'm going to give you the, the rundown. Uh, so okay. It's, uh, it's uh, Shine, Secret and Lies, Jerry That's Maguire, a good film. Uh, mm. Fargo, and then the winner was The English Patient. Oh, okay. Hmm. I have, I have never heard of Shine or Secret and Lies, um, but the other three are very good films. Okay. Yeah. There, it, was, yeah. it was a good year. Uh, Secrets and Lies is Mike Lee, and you, you, you love to see it with him in the okay. mix for yeah. um best picture shine movie. uh shine is kind of i would oh, is that the argue Jeffrey shine Rush is kind of the weak link okay I'm yeah familiar he won for that didn't he yeah okay. yeah he did okay, i haven't seen it but mm, fine i would be so torn heat versus fargo would be too much for 1995 dawns <laughs> um little soul to take <laughs> but uh yeah this film yeah, I think that I think you're absolutely right because it, it's 
I think it would if it came out this year and had this kind of the level of prestige that it did in 95, it would certainly be nominated for best picture, uh, I think, because just the sheer ambition of it is like is what is the thing that always yeah everything on location is just like the size mm-hmm. of this cast i was looking at i still have them both up to look at but um both the cast of both of these films like you know it's an insane cast when every single cast member has a wikipedia page <laughs> they're all <laughs> yeah. they're all blue links it's wild how many people are in both of these films Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. And um, this, of course, I mean, the biggest deal in 95 about this was this was the first ever time Pacino and De Niro had ever appeared on screen mm. together. They're both in The Godfather 2, but they don't share any scenes. So the and I think, man, I mean, both there was no other choices for mm-hmm. Vincent and Neil. Those were the two they got. They had um, De Niro first. And then the basically when Pacino heard and read the script, he's like, "Okay, yeah, this this is perfect for me too." They never talked about switching roles, which they shouldn't. I think that they are the two characters. Pacino's perfect as the cop, and De Niro's perfect as the yeah crook. I feel like De Niro um, could do the cop, but Pacino couldn't do the crook, which is the important thing. Not in the yeah. way he's written. At yeah. the very least. Yeah, not in like the suave. It's like, yeah, he just like yeah, because like Robert De Niro is like He's cool so as a cucumber. Smooth in this movie. Like to a point where I was like, is Robert De Niro hot? Because I've seen I've seen Robert De Niro's <laughs> earlier films where he was like objectively hotter, like in really good shape and young and like doing some of his peak work, but I've never like found him attractive, probably because he's always playing like abusive like assholes which he's also playing in this movie but but he just keeps it yeah he just like keeps it together in this movie there's something very appealing about like a character who's surrounded by chaos who um never lets themselves wince and that's him throughout the whole movie like not Mm -hmm. until the very very end is he like compromised in any way and that's why it's so painful when they're in that scene where he's driving through the tunnel (gasps) it's the same blue light same blue light and when he turns around for wayne girl who deserves it because oh. we all agree wayne girl is the biggest monster yeah. out of all of them and you want wayne girl to get it you want neil to go after him but you also like this is the genius one of the things i love about so much about the film is like as an audience member you feel the conflict yeah. of like yes go for him but you gotta get away you're yeah. out <laughs> you know? i will say uh it is like really fun. like this movie does feel like like the world, the universe this film exists in feels like a world where everything is like heightened by. Or initially, I was gonna say it was heightened by fifteen percent, but then like I, I texted my friend Nick and I was like, "Yeah, there's like this character Wangro, and like I feel like in in this in this movie he's like the scumbag of the movie, and in every in every other movie he'd just be the scumbag for being a scumbag, but in this movie he's like." He has like the not. He's like a Nazi, and he murders yes. like like courtesans. He's a serial killer. Yeah, he's a serial killer. He's a serial killer. Like... killer who exclusively murders like young sex workers, and I'm like, that would be its own whole movie. And they're like, that's just yeah, a detail about like... this guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like yeah. He's like a horror villain in any other film, and he's like the the third like lead yeah. baddie in this. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah, and Michael Mann gives you a you know gamut of the different types of baddie because on the other side is the great William Fichter playing Van Zant, the corporate oh. Oh, yeah. baddie, oh, not as well, who who sucks who sucks in his own way. And his number one henchman is Henry yeah. Rollins, uncredited uh, Henry Rollins, which rules. So weird to oh, see. God, yeah, yeah, that um that actor has just a perfect face for playing um like a piece of shit, like. I he mm-hmm. it's yeah oh, it's probably good yeah. for his career but I feel bad for him in person because he just looks like such a douchebag. Yeah, and he was he was of course cast in The Dark Knight as the bank manager that the Joker robs at the top of the movie as a tribute to Heat because that entire opening robbery in The Dark Knight Nolan was oh. mapping on a Heat style bank robbery because he was in, that was one of the That's biggest sweet. influences on that film. And yeah, he wanted a little bit more of a connection and Victor. I mean, he's the guy who probably, you know, he's a pro. Oh, show up, do I what he needs to do. I believe when we got to that bank robbery scene that I, I had to like pause it a few times. I paused this maybe a lot just because it was so tense um, and also to like pee and stuff. But, but there were points where it was so <laughs> tense where I had to like pause it and like take a breath and then start again. And I paused it during the bank robbery scene because I was like, wow, this is it. They've been talking about it forever. And I was like, there's still almost an hour left of this film. And I was like, <laughs> a li- it was definitely a little bit of like, holy fuck, there's a whole nother hour. But also like, I can't believe how they're going to heighten from here because that bank robbery scene was so intense and so like hyper violent too. Um, and up until that point, I had let myself believe that, like, Robert De Niro's character was kind of, like, an ethical good guy because the whole point of them, like, <laughs> like kicking Wangro out of the crew was that he killed those three security guards when they really didn't have to. And it was like, maybe they're just not mm-hmm. there to kill. They're just bank robbers trying to make a living. And then that bank robbery scene comes and they kill, like, like seven cops and, like, three bystanders or something. They're just shooting up, like, any car oh. they can. They all have, like, massive submachine guns and are just letting it fly without like any discrimination. I was like, oh no, they don't care at all. They're they're all murderers. Yeah, they're <laughs> yeah. Bad boys. The, um, <laughs> I genuinely feel that I genuinely feel the bank heist scene is the greatest action sequence ever put to film. Like it's so masterful. So crazy. Yeah. yeah. And so they shot on Saturdays mm-hmm. and Sundays for like four to five weeks to get it down and there are stories that people who were in the area genuinely thought there was a war going on in downtown los angeles because it was so loud and there were so many gunshots i would have hated this movie that would have been a nightmare (laughs) (laughs) i get mad when somebody shoots like an episode of like a sitcom on my street because i'm like ugh, all these trucks i can't i can't (laughs) imagine if there were actual gunshots constantly going off in my neighborhood it would be a menace Mm -hmm. And they, um, uh, Kilmer, De Niro, and Sizemore all trained with ex-Special Forces dudes for weeks on end for it. And in their training, they trained with live ammo so they could get a feel for what it actually felt like. And then, of course, on set, it was um, (laughs) blanks. But the way he, he shoots it with their kind of like... You could see all the way across the street. Sizemore's on the far end on the left. Kilmer's in the middle and De Niro's kind of in the foreground. And the way that they're like moving up like a mil- it's a yes. military operation is just absolutely stunning. And I think you're right. It does make it does take it to the next level. It's like, no, these guys 
are fully prepared to shoot their way yeah. out of this. They have trained for it. They have they're stone cold and they're going to get out or die trying. And there's no nothing else about it. But there's one shot that I heard Kilmer say that so Kilmer fires forward, he fires towards us, then he fires back and he reloads all in one that, shot. Yeah. And Kilmer said that the Marines show that to their oh recruits. And they say basically like this is some Hollywood actor doing it right. You do you have to do it yeah, faster. Some of than the, him. the Wikipedia trivia at the bottom of the article for this movie is about how like this movie inspired a bunch of real life robberies <laughs> of people who were being like, Oh, this is yeah. this is so well crafted <laughs> and like so well thought through oh, no. that they like modeled their <laughs> robberies after the two different sequences in this film. He's a man is like pretty notorious for um, kind of getting everyone that they could do it. Like in Thief, he had James Caan learn how to crack multiple different kinds of safes and he could do it if he needed to. Like he could join up and become a professional thief by the time his training was over. For this one, he that was a real working bank, not a set. So a few weeks prior, he sent De Niro, Kilmer, and Sizemore in there to case the place. And he said if they got recognized, they would have to stop oh the God. test. And they were able to get in and get out and toy case the place without doing that. Like on Collateral, he had Tom Cruise do a day as a FedEx driver and go all around Los Angeles to deliver stuff and not get recognized. <laughs> Because he, his, his assassin character was a guy who had to get in and get out and not be noticed and not be remembered. It's, also, it's a lot like harder Miami to not Vice. be noticed when you are a real-life movie star. <laughs> the, people who yeah. films are regular people who are just trying to commit a robbery. Whereas like, if Tom Cruise tried to like walk into the place I worked, I would be like, wait, you're Tom Cruise. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's always yeah. noticed. It's always noticed. So, yeah, he's like very adamant about kind of this realism for his uh, cop and criminal characters. This, uh, this is inspired by a true story too. Um, 1960s uh, in Chicago, a, a police officer named Chuck Adamson, who was an advisor on this and actually came to Hollywood and advised on a whole bunch of stuff after he retired. He was chasing a criminal named Neil McCauley. They did have coffee together. And then three weeks later, or something like that, he did shoot oh, him. Wow and kill him in the middle of a robbery and man was like oh that's a story it's like yes it is yeah. it's a good story yeah. <laughs> but uh that kind of was the impetus and man thought of it first heard the story in the 70s but he he knew that like i need to build yeah. up to make a movie of this of this level and he actually did shoot this originally as a tv pilot there's a version of this called la takedown um that I, yes, I have rented an important <laughs> DVD of. <laughs> the only crossover is Xander Berkeley, who plays Ralph, who should not be watching his fucking television. Um, he plays Wayne Grow in the TV version. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, Xander, okay. Ber Xander Berkeley has huge Wayne Grow energy. <laughs> He's awesome. We've we've praised him yeah. before. Uh, when did when did we last see him, Patrick? Uh, he, was the, he, was the, he was the bad dad in Terminator Two. That's right. Yeah, we yeah. just we last saw him in Terminator Two. Um, um, is yeah. the the unaired pilot this entire movie, or is it like a, the first part of this movie? Would it have been serialized? It's like a tr it's 
it's like okay. truncated. So it would have been serialized, but like obviously things like the gunfight bank robbery are not in yeah. the TV pilot just because that's something, or at least to the level. Yeah, because it's a quarter of the time. Of, um, yeah. And so I think it ended up being pushed into like TV movie territory, but it didn't go to pass. But everybody kind of agreed, like, you've got a great script here. Like, let's let's try and massage it. Bed getting. (laughs) Yeah. And then getting Pacino and De Niro involved uh, in this kind of capacity, you know, kind of go back to our original conversation about their kind of cultural significance now. And like 95, this was a massive deal to get these two together in a movie this is like you know people have been waiting for this they've been compared to each other since the late 60s Mm. and it was just um to see them kind of like go out of here and you know man gives them the showstopper i mean the two showstopper sequences for me are the the gunfight in the downtown and then um on the flip side of that the diner scene Mm. which is pretty is a pretty celebrated scene shot on two cameras uh, simultaneously because he didn't want to miss anything. I think they did it in something like eight or nine takes. Wow. They did it on. And um, yeah, he just kind of let them flow. He wouldn't let it. Re- he would not let them rehearse it. He wanted it. Um, Feel real or whatnot. Real fresh and in the moment mm-hmm. there. And it, it's it's such. I, I, I studied it a lot. Just kind of the, the filmic techniques of it. And. You know, I noticed that um, as the scene progresses, it gets in a tighter close-up on De Niro, but it leaves the wider close-up on Pacino. So there's still people around Pacino, whereas by the end of it, there's no people around mm-hmm. Robert De Niro in the same frame. And I think that that's really telling what he's trying to say is that Pacino has a at least minor connection to the real to the outside okay. world, whereas De Niro's completely ties closed in with off. That story about his um, dream about seeing all the mm-hmm. like homicides he's worked on. Yeah. yeah, I will say too. Those are like I feel like that's like man, like Diane Venora. Uh, you know, and she's great in both of these films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I feel like the, some of my favorite scenes were also the ones in like you know her expressing her distaste for Al Pacino's life decisions. Mm-hmm. And the like, you know, this is like the the, 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 the life you, he has chosen to lead, lead as like the number one super cop yeah. in the universe or whatever. Like, yeah. like, you know, it's like, it's, it's so like, uh, and she does it. With he only is life. who he's chasing. You know that. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's just so good. But then like, there's also that one scene where like, it's like three, they do like three in a row where like each, like, see, like, okay. Like I don't, I I, I've talked about this before in the podcast. I still like. I've only cried watching one movie. If you, if you guess it, you get a wish. Uh, <laughs> if you get, but uh, uh, I'm like a weird. I have a weird soul. I don't cry watching movies. I wish I did. I wish I. But I. But I. But I. I almost like the thing that does like really do it for me like emotionally. Like the thing I grokked is like when like because uh, I I view I think you know and I guess every guy probably does to a certain extent. Like every guy kind of views themselves as a fucked up ding dong. <laughs> Like, you know, like, I, you know, I just spiritually, I feel like a fucked up ding dong. Sure. And so like, you have that one scene where it's like the three, I think it's like, is it, I can't remember if Val Kilmer's part of it. I know it's like Dennis Haysbert and that's the one that oh, got me that the most. So heartbreaking. It's like Dennis Haysbert yeah. and, uh, oh, and, uh, Brutal. and, uh, and Al Pacino. Like, oh, Al- when they're watching TV, when they're watching TV about the aftermath of the, no, uh, so no, what the I'm heist. Talk- no, what I'm talking is about. Is that the part? Is- 
That part's good too. But oh. the part where like it's like when all the husbands are like confiding in their wives. There's like that. Like there's like that. There's like three husbands confiding mm-hmm. in their wives in a row. And Dennis Haysbert is like, like, why do you like me? I fucking stink. I'm stinky as hell. And the wife's like, he You're did not say stinky I'm stinky as hell. As hell. And I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah the, I, the Dennis Haysbert storyline is so upsetting. And even though like I Grim. know that like he has to say yes when De Niro asks him because otherwise he he wouldn't be a character in this film. I still was like, say yeah. no, like please say no because I knew, yeah, you, I, <laughs> I knew you, he would not make it out. You of only it. get a taste yes, of him. Yes, you, you, you Bud only... Court might not be that annoying. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, get out of here, st- co-star of uh, that Hal Ashby movie. I can't. <laughs> Maude. The the uh, the titular Harold of Harold and yeah. Maud. Yeah, get out of here, Harold. Uh, it's yeah. so upsetting. Get, bring in Maud. Oh man, yeah, it's so yeah, crazy. and yeah, and it's it's concerning, and he doesn't get a cool suit like the rest of the guys, so you yeah, know he's, he's just in wearing, trouble. He's just yeah. wearing what he was wearing at his grill job. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. <laughs> no, oh, just man. takes you know off his apron, which I didn't realize until. Um, very late in the film is that um, Danny Trejo's character was named Trejo. <laughs> I I had just oh, missed yeah. it until they were like, when they were like, oh, who ratted us out? And he was like, Trejo, he was the only one who wasn't there. Um, also, Danny Trejo is, um, I'm betting, the only cast member of this film who has actually done time. Danny Trejo was in San Quentin for like three years. Isn't that insane? Yeah. I think uh, Sizemore did time oh after <laughs> this film. Yeah. Uh, Sizemore is kind of like, I, I kind of refer to him as like dark Michael Batson. Yeah. He's a he's a, ni- he's a 90s king, man. Oh, he yeah. is a 90s king. Like he shows up in all these, like basically in every dude's rock movie as like the fourth or fifth guy on the team. <laughs> yeah. And then... <laughs> Oh man, yeah, he is like And a, you know for him he gets the line of the movie because the action is the juice. The action is the juice. Mm, yeah, the true. the scene like that line and the diner scene both made me think a lot about um Hurt Locker because it's like when oh, when yeah. De Niro yeah. and Pacino both admit that they couldn't do anything else and they know it's bad for them and like Pacino's like you so would walk sad. away from like a woman you love and he's like, yeah, it, it's like these these men who are just so obsessed with the the action that their life takes that they would choose it over literally anything else. Yeah, uh, like yeah, Jeremy Renner pulling the leaves out of the gutter at the end of the yeah. Hurt Locker, and you're just like, oh, yeah. this sucks. Go I back mean, and do honestly, it. <laughs> all of the Hurt Locker. Like that was it was a very good movie, but once again, you know, like um. Uh, hyper-masculine action films are not my first choice. But I did watch it and I was like, this is really good. Mm-hmm. And that whole movie for me was made by the end when he goes back to life with Evangeline Lilly and yeah. you're like, oh, he hates oh, this. Yeah. And the very last frame is him yeah. being like, like, you know what makes me really happy? And then walking back out to like diffuse bombs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my and God. you should not necessarily find that thrilling. You should not find that thrilling. You should find yeah. it tragic. But the first time I saw it, I was like, it really well. It really Whoa, justifies the whole is, movie because, like, Catherine Bigelow yeah. makes like a very tense, incredibly well-made action film where you're, and it's been a long time since I've seen it, but where you're not like incredibly mm-hmm. connected to like Jeremy Renner's character because he seems like kind of cold, and then you find out it's because like, yeah, he only cares about defusing bombs. Oh yeah, like the <laughs> yeah. Fa- like the the fact that like uh, the fact that like uh, finding 
the right cereal is like more stressful to him than yeah. cutting the right wire. Like that scene where he's just like looking at like just the variety of cereals, and it's like this is yeah. killing him. Like this is too hard for him. It's the same thing this. with De Niro and Pacino in this movie that like what makes one like the world's best bank robber and the other like the world's best homicide cop is that like that's the only thing they care about. They are good at yeah. nothing else. Yeah, you know. I mean, and they and but I think Pacino's the one who figures yeah. it out first. <laughs> like he and <laughs> oh, I would love to see a movie of just like uh, if like if Robert De Niro like somehow survived. Uh, you know, spoiler alert for those. Yeah. We'll, we'll get we'll get to we'll get to, we'll get to the over end. Over a year yeah, we'll old, like I don't sur- believe in spoilers. That's on you for not seeing it. Yeah, I don't think any of your listeners would be spoiled because I imagine they've either like watched the movie or don't care. But I, if honestly, mm-hmm. even six months, if it's out on streaming or DVD, you're not spoiled anymore. That's your fault. You're spoiling it for everyone else. Guess what? No, this uh, this movie's yeah, twenty five years we're old. Good. Guess what? This movie can drive. You, you, you know what? Guess what, listeners? Uh, Scabbers, the mouse, is really Peter yeah. Pettigrew. Yeah, that's why he shows up. Just spoiled on the another map. damn movie. Um, I had a friend get really mad at me in high school for spoiling the movie Seven. This was 2010, oh. the year of our Lord 2010. Oh, yeah. come on. But yeah, I think I yeah I I 100% agree on the spoilers talk, and I think before we actually get to the end, I wanted to actually bring up. Um, I love Val Kilmer in the movie and I love him and Ashley Judd together and I'm heartbroken when he shows up with his haircut and she tells him to leave. Yeah. It was so um, interesting that he's the only one who of the crew who makes it out alive, but it is at the cost of like Mm -hmm. ever seeing his like wife and child ever again, which I guess is good dramatic irony. Um, But I too was very disappointed that his, his hair had to be chopped off for him to be, I guess, unrecognizable to the cops. <laughs> yeah, well, never. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Different I, I think, I think these, the fact that they, and a guy who is obviously suffering from a pretty good gunshot yeah. wound, who's walking in around looking wound. like he's in massive yeah. amount of pain. Because <laughs> like, he's like, he gets out of the car, he's like, Biting his lip, and, like, and no he's way, clearly can no barely way a move. We're looking out for would have a fake ID. His ID says his name is yeah. um, uh, Daniel Stevenson, so we're gonna let him go. I, <laughs> yeah. We know, we know, Chris Shaharlis has got blonde hair, and he looks like a movie star. Yeah. But yeah. it can't be. It can't be this guy. He looks. <laughs> so. like, he looks like Val <laughs> Yeah, he looks this a lot like Val Kilmer. Incredibly <laughs> handsome. <laughs> this like this like super hunky guy no it can't be him (laughs) it's not the the hot young guy of the crew the one who looks like an underwear model um i do i think i wonder if it was intentional i'm sure it was because michael mann seems like uh uh an amazing storyteller that like val kilmer's character is the only one who made it out and he was also the only one who said that he wasn't willing to walk away from his his wife and kids whereas de niro mm-hmm. and tom That's sizemore the... both had enough to walk away um and not do the job but they were like no we want to do the bank job we have to because that's what we're good at whereas like val kilmer um uh i love it i know it's a cliche but when he says the sun rises and sets with her i was like oh he's also an abuser but yeah. he loves her <laughs> he loves his hot he wife so yeah. much uh, man, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, no, I think that that's the thing is like the biggest thing you could take away from uh, 
Daenerys Sizemore is either their life or their freedom. But the biggest thing you could take away that Kilmer's character could lose is yeah. her. So that's like so he is defeated in the same way that's that they true. are in what is most important to him, oh, which yeah. is his, his wife and his daughter. If he could get over that damn gambling yeah. addiction, I know. I always whenever but there's he, a um, in one of these movies who's like oh. down bad because they have like a gambling problem or a drinking problem. I'm always blown away at how much money that must be because like they talk about all these scores they've made together and Val Kilmer's like, well, I'm broke. And I'm like, how do you gamble and drink away? What must be millions of dollars that is mind blowing to me. Mm-hmm. Well, he, <laughs> um, I mean, it, the the best way I was, yeah, I was thinking about the same thing because they clearly make enough money for Robert De Niro to be able to rent the greatest yes. beach house in the history and then of also the world. Take off and, like, and Robert De Niro's yeah, cut by is, a house in New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His cut is probably better than Val Kilmer's because he's the leader of the crew, but not by much because he seems generous to yeah. the guys on his crew. He, he does like, he likes them to the extent that he continues to work with them. I think another question would be is how Wayne Grow was recommended to them and with all the work that they do, why he wasn't vetted. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, Wayne Grow is like by far like the, like the fact that he gets away too, like it feels like De Niro should have just like killed Wayne Grow. Like that should have been like, I, that's like. Oh, the he way. does kill him. No, he does, he does kill, kill him. him. He does kill him. No, I'm talking about like when they all when he almost kills him initially, <laughs> oh, yeah. and he sneaks away. Oh, when, when well, Wayne that that is the best drama of, like that is what makes him such a good dramatist. That moment sets the sets everything yeah. up for their downfall. Two and a half hours from that moment. Right. Like, if they had killed Wango there, everything would have been fine. It would have been yeah. great, yeah. And it would have been such a happy yeah. movie. It would have been like, yeah, I know. <laughs> everyone goes home and like, yeah, we get we got rid of this guy. <laughs> you know, Dennis Haysbert, he's, uh, you know, works at that restaurant. He's still, he's still at the grill. Uh, no, yeah. Ralph, Robert De Niro. He's never watching Robert his De Niro TV. gets his friend yeah. from prison, Dennis Haysbert, a good job. So he doesn't have to work with yeah. that piece of shit anymore. That was that whole plot yeah. line was so depressing because obviously we like Dennis Haysbert, like cause, partly because he's just like a, a handsome, charismatic man. But it's 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 yeah. like the Wayne Grow thing where it's like there's a subplot about like a man being a serial killer. There's a subplot in this about like how impossible it is to escape escape poverty and especially <laughs> like post carceral poverty. Like this is the real system that this guy just got out of jail and he immediately has to enter a job where he's losing twenty five percent of his income to this guy who's willing to lie to put him back in jail. And I'm like, there's so much detail in that one subplot that's maybe like three scenes long and it's so affecting mm-hmm. just as much as like anything else in the movie. Well, I think it's like just a testament. Like, it's just like everyone, like Haysbert's an incredible yeah. actor. Uh, Michael Mann's an incredible director. The writing is like, everything is so strong that they can like, in, in, with weaker people, like you wouldn't be able to get away with a character being that like, uh, minim- getting mining so much from yeah, so little. Yeah, it would seem shoehorned in, in yeah. other context. Yeah, exactly. And he does so much like this uh, establish like like even somebody as minor as uh, Ted Levine. <laughs> oh God, I love Bosco. Would he get? Would he get? Would he? And would he get shot? 
Yeah. It sucks. You're upset because that it gets it's real. The moment he got, he gets shot, you're like, oh, one well, of the guys on his yeah. crew went down. This is gonna be especially because they a included big scene. that scene How's he where they're su- all at dinner together, and you're like, oh, these cops are friends, and all their wives are friends, and they mm-hmm. like have lives. Yeah. We, I don't think we've even mentioned that Natalie Portman plays a, a 12 year old who tries to kill herself. <laughs> ah, yeah. so much in this yeah. movie. <laughs> With a terrible deadbeat father that makes Al Pacino, Vincent, who we've described as only caring about busting criminals, a great dad of the year by comparison. Yeah, and like, it's another subplot that would feel forced in maybe another movie. And it's maybe a credit for this being so fucking long because they did fit in a lot. But um, it's like him finding Natalie Portman and taking her to the hospital is the reason that he's not at the hotel oh when Robert De Niro goes to the hotel to get Wayne grown. <laughs> so there's extra time for Al Pacino to have to get there and then chase him to the airport. Um, and so the plotting is, is, is like meticulous. It seems like down to the minute he had this yeah. like planned out. Yeah. He's, it's just, we should mention too, just a quick run through some of the casting. Um, so Val Kilmer was not, the first mm-hmm. choice to play Chris. The really? first choice was Keanu oh Reeves gosh. was the original <sighs> thought to play Chris, which in a different, I mean, I love yeah. Val, but boy, he Keanu would have been, Keanu would have crushed it. That would have slapped. That would have been very good. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Um, should mention, uh, you know, obviously he's a total crackpot, but uh, John Voight rocks. In this movie yeah. is Nate the fence. He's so fucking yeah. weird. It's so funny. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. It's so funny because like uh I was thinking about when I was watching it, John Voigt, he's great in this little scene or whatever. Yeah, total screwball, bad man. Uh he's the other badass <laughs> of the week. Uh but uh, you know, but uh, he's whatever. But uh uh my uh only a few years later would John Voigt uh star in the movie Baby Geniuses. Uh, which I saw with my grandpa as a youth. And that was the movie that caused my grandfather to decide he would never see a movie in theaters ever Yeah, that again. movie's fucking weird. Movie that, that movie is so strange. It's not a good movie. You guys you guys should have gone to see Heat together. <laughs> I think that that's the uh, lesson there. We should have seen Heat. Yeah. If we had finally, uh, the world we would have been in. I'd, uh, I'd, I would have seen Heat before today <laughs> or the day before. Be a different life. My grandpa yeah. would have seen. My but I mean, we're talking. Gone... Oh, no, you go. You yeah, go. your grandpa uh, and you would have. He he would. Well, he just would have continued to see movies the way they were meant to be seen on mm. the silver screen. Yep. Um, but we're talking Michael T. Williamson. We're talking to the great West Studi. Oh, Tom yeah. Noonan shows up yeah. for a scene, and then of of course we we, <laughs> we have to mention Hank Azaria. Oh yeah, because he is the scene partner in like the, the secret greatest scene. moment in this the great ass scene, which is the secret greatest <laughs> moment of the film. <laughs> I didn't say just. I uh, mentioned that I was watching this to um, one of my best friends, who's like a huge film buff, and he was like, "Oh, you get to see that scene," and I was like, "I had no idea that was a real scene. I thought that was something." that like a funny phrase that people like to say in his voice or like uh, like SNL thing or a mad TV scene. I had no idea it was like actually from a movie. Oh, it's, it's, Oh no. Yeah. It's so magical. I won't do it. Cause I tend to scream it <laughs> when I do my impersonation of it, but the magic of it is 
you get the initial hiff because she's got a great ass, which is surprising and super weird. But then the <laughs> follow up, and you got your head all the way up it. Really <laughs> like steals the deal of being. Whole, and the the look on his face, his eyes are bugging yeah. out of his head. And then he, because man, he seems to even understand comedy because the way he cuts back to Hanka's area looking like he's going to shit his pants because he doesn't know if that's the funniest thing he's ever seen or the scariest thing he's ever seen is truly <laughs> a magical moment. And, you know, I read an interview and Hank Azaria did not know that was coming. <laughs> and that is a genuine reaction. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I'd be like totally terrified if, uh, if I was in a scene and, you know, Al Pacino is supposed to act like a normal man in the scene. And then he screamed great ass at me. That would be legitimately like, what am I going uh, Cocoa Puffs? What's happening to me? Like, it's very bizarre, mm-hmm. but it's very good. It's 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 awesome. It's awesome. And he does it over and over. I mean, the part where, uh, you know, he confronts Tone Loke in the um, oh, Tone Loke. in the nightclub. That's a wild scene. The nightclub where they're playing jump around. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it totally rocks it totally rocks and how like he starts singing to tone Lokes, the guy who plays tone Lokes bro- cousin like he's just he's and i did you know it's there was supposed to be a scene and it was cut but um his character is supposed to be on yes the yeah entire he's, time. i read like a, a an interview about this film which he said that like <laughs> that was his vision for like the character throughout the entire movie and I was like oh yeah that makes a lot more sense because he seems like really like keyed in <laughs> all the time even when he he says yeah. in scene like oh I've been I haven't slept in like this many hours I kept thinking about how he was um when he went to the hotel where he eventually found Natalie Portman's like unconscious body he was going to the hotel to shower this is something I think about a lot because I'm like a, a very hygienic person and sometimes when movies take place in the course of like two or three days I'm like when did they shower? How dirty are they right now? And all I could think is like, <laughs> this man has to be the sweatiest man on earth and he still didn't yeah. shower. Oh, and all I could think about, because that leads into like him going to the hospital, then to the hotel, then to LAX, which all must have taken hours. And by the time he like kills Robert De Niro, I'm like, shower after that must have felt amazing. That must have felt so good. <laughs> yeah, I think he could take a day off yeah. after Hopefully. this is all over. I think I think that Vincent, you know, and I, I I do think he, I mean, like, so we can talk about the end here. So basically they end up in this, I don't know where man came up with the location idea, but it's absolutely awesome for their final confrontation with those, that overgrown field and those storage containers and the airplane and the lights and everything like that. And he, you know, he, he said it was the hardest part of the shoot even harder than the LA downtown wow. LA stuff just to for the timing and to like divert flights to, for their lights and everything like that was just a real pain in the ass. But it leads to, I, I don't know what it is. Like Patrick alluded to it. I do cry at the end of this mm. movie every time mm. I see it. And I think that there is a level like, yeah, I'm emotional, but um, no, kind of no, but it is the Not three like hour. It is the three-hour length and kind of the compounding of the journey even more so than I think the exact emotional moment. Yeah, and it's a heavy, it's a heavy it. journey. Like you're, you're the, the the response of crying is totally justified. Like I, I'm the I am the soulless free. I wish I could cry 
I need to <laughs> take crying classes or something. <laughs> I should teach those. That's the skill I have. Teach, teach me how crying to... at movies. Teach me how to cry, it's, dog. It's got to be very cathartic because but... it's just like, it's a very stressful film. And like, even if you don't feel emotionally yeah. connected to the characters, just like having experienced this whole story at one time, um, it would feel very cathartic yeah. when it ends. Oh, and yeah. you, you, you've gotten to know it and you've got in based on the kind of movie it is, you know, it's, it's going one way or the other. One of them mm-hmm. is not yeah. making it out yeah. of yeah. this thing. And, you know, when I saw it, when I saw it, when I, in the nineties, I was, I used to tell people, I like. Up until maybe like 2010, so about 15 years of heat viewing, um, right. I was firmly rooting for Robert De Niro mm. the entire time. Oh, yeah. But then around 2010, something flicked, and I was like, no, I'm a Vincent Hanna guy. <laughs> I'm rooting for Vincent. Yeah. Because I, I, I like, I like his. I like his story, and I, I think he's, I think he's, he's troubled, but I think he's got like a decency to him. At his well, core, well, I think the that thing, I really believe in. Well, I think like the big differentiator between like Al Pacino and De Niro in this movie is like, I think Al Pacino's character, had he been in a situation similar to Robert, uh, De Ni- or Robert De Niro's character, like he wouldn't, he would have stayed, stayed the course. He wouldn't have gone to the hotel. Mm. I don't think Al Pacino would have gone to the hotel, and that was such a bummer to because I think that's like where everything falls apart. He had to get that last taste of his old life. He had to like get that revenge. He had to clean up. He had to he had to clean up every loose end. He couldn't uh, like he had to kill Van Zant and he had to kill Wangro. Yeah, well, and the thing too is he like and he's leaving Amy Brett Edie in the car. Amy Brett, she's wonderful in this movie. Amy Brett. Oh yeah, uh, I think is how you yeah. pronounce Yeah, I was like, so oh, pleased to so see good. her because like, I love. Do you guys watch The Leftovers? Yes, yeah. yes, I did watch she, that, that one. The first thing I ever saw Leftovers her in was The Leftovers, and it took me a second to register it was her because she's so much younger in this film. Um, I love The Leftovers. Huge plug for um, a show that is over, The Leftovers. <laughs> so you can just watch all three seasons uh, Justin right Thoreau now. rules. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. He uh, rocks. He could have He could have played, he could have played uh, Chris oh, yeah. as oh, well. Yeah. He's in played, Miami Vice. The oh, man likes with, him. Um, Trying to play Chris. That he's just, like a little too handsome to play just about any role. Because sometimes when somebody's in something and you're like, if they're that good looking, why wouldn't they just be a movie star? Like it's hard to buy them as a regular person. That's how I feel about Zoe Kravitz. It's like when the he popped, when he when he popped his shirt the first time on yeah. the leftovers, both my wife and I like leaned forward like that can't be. Yeah. Yeah. This guy's like a small town cop, and he looks like that. (laughs) This guy can't be a normal. It's like the Matthew Fox scenario, where you're like, "How the hell is Matthew Fox a dang doctor in Lost?" Like, it's just that's how I feel about Zoe Kravitz. Yeah, Um, that's how I feel about Rihanna in Ocean's Eight, where she plays like an elite hacker. Um, Not because like beautiful women can't be hackers, but because if if I were that beautiful, I'd just like that would be my career. I would just be beautiful. Like, I refuse to believe that somebody like. Rihanna or like Zoe Kravitz could walk around without people being like, let me pay you to like be in something. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, no, like, yeah. He, he, like if he, Justin Throw should be like a hunksman. Yes. Like, yes. He's just, like he's he would paid to be a hunk. Well, he's like, he's an, al- he's an alcoholic depressed cop in the leftovers and he pops his shirt. And I, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I went online and I looked up if there was like a workout. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Routine like, available to see what he was doing, and, a, and a, according to almost every fitness, 
every fitness thing on like Reddit was like, yeah, he's using steroids. <laughs> That's yeah. what he's doing. And I was There's like, nobody, yeah, that makes a lot who's more sense. Consuming that much sugar could maintain those abs. It's because he's a professional actor <laughs> who both has a personal trainer, a personal chef, and access to drugs. Yeah, like, there's just no way people in real life like, look like that unless they are like absolute gym rats. Yeah, no, and even then, you have to have the money, and you have yeah. to have the time, and you have to have the commitment, which is incredibly difficult. But yeah, yeah. well, the joys of being a star—that would be the first thing I, if I ever got like star money, mm-hmm. I'd buy the chef. I'd get the personal oh, yeah. chef. That would be the first. Oh. But oh, even yeah. before, I think I'd keep my apartment. But just have yeah, the chef. Your cooked. life would improve so much if you just had somebody pick out all your meals for you. It would be both like tasty and healthy. I can't. I can't imagine how easy yeah. my life would be. I think I yeah. would transcend. Um, I would reach Nirvana because yeah. I wouldn't have to think about anything anymore. It would. Seriously. It would really take a big thing off off your mental plate if yeah. uh, they, they just delicious, healthy meals were showing up yeah. magically when you needed well, them, and you had to put that- no thought into them whatsoever. Once that Patreon money comes, baby. Yeah. Once we start yeah. that Patreon, I'm talking ten dollars. I'm talking thirty dollars a month. I'm talking twenty-five dollars a month. If we're lucky. All of, all of our tremendous t-shirt ideas. <laughs> oh yeah, all the all that all those dozens of people listening. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the dozens upon the dozens. dozens of that that one guy in Belgium who's downloaded like eight episodes. We hear you and we see you, hey, Belgium we, guy. We love you. We we love you. We love you. We wanna, come on, come yeah. on the show, he, Belgian he, man. What was it? We we're still dying to know. Was it Meryl Streep? Where you just Meryl Streep fandom was what brought you to us, or was for other reasons? We got to know. But um, heat. So it ends. Vincent Hanna uh, shoots Neil. The awesome Moby song comes on over yeah. <laughs> the speakers, the lights shine, and Vincent takes Neil's hand in his dying moments, which is so... The only person that could be there for him. The only person that uh, understands Neil, and this truly understands him in this entire world, is Vincent. And they and I, what I love the most about this is the close-up of Al. As he's yeah. kind of like looking off yeah. in the distance and then I'll just like the entire all three hours is sinking in over him. Like mm-hmm. it's sinking in over us. And we're just and he's just like, geez, what do I do now? Like, do I feel like that was like a like I used to talk to people who did like I used to do marathons and I was friendly with people who did like the Iron Man and stuff like that. And they would say I always say the same thing about like getting th- when you get through an Iron Man, you have this moment of like you kind of like just sit there. You're like. So that was, that was that, that was it. Like it's like it's it's, it's washed. It's done. This yeah. huge emotional thing. Like when the after I ran my first marathon, I just kind of sat on the curb, yeah. <laughs> on the other side of the finish line for like ten minutes, and just like just kind of like wow, that was something. Yeah. You know, you're just kind of like coming back from uh, blown away by it. from vacations when you spend like a year saving up to go on a really cool vacation, and then you have like a great time the whole time you're there, and then you come back and you're like, oh well, I did it. <laughs> yeah that's yeah. it that that was, yeah I'm, that was pre yeah I guess. <laughs> yeah that's <Yeah>. done <laughs> yep oh there, I, there, I there, there's like... there's hello guys <laughs> I'm, I'm back home yeah yeah it's like yeah it's like oh I, I always like drive out from the burbank airport or something like that and you start seeing like the billboards for abc's upcoming comedies or whatever and you're like oh yeah okay. oh my gosh um, i yeah. always 
this this again. I will yeah. take the, uh, the baby doctor. I guess, I guess uh, Blackish is back. <laughs> I would take the flyaway cool. <laughs> from um, Hollywood and Vine um, because it's it's cheap and it's really easy. Plug for the flyaway. It's great. But that means that when I get back from like a huge, beautiful international vacation, I take the flyaway and then I'm at Hollywood and Vine, which I then walk home to. And so I'm walking down Hollywood Boulevard <laughs> back to my apartment and I'm like, oh boy, I'm what like, a place to be thrown ooh, back. The, what a city I've chosen to live in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know. It's really yeah. bleak. Looks it's like, a really bleak feeling. Yeah. It looks like someone has uh, thrown up on Debbie Reynolds. Sorry, <laughs> <again>. <laughs> Love walking through. This is just what Debbie, this is what yeah. Debbie worked for. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> there's a metaphor here somewhere <laughs> yeah oh boy but uh yeah before we before i mean i think you know before we head into our next film i think we should just talk briefly about i mean you know we've we've dabbled in it but like al pacino specifically in heat you know he's doing really really big things like i think you could argue verging a descent of a woman territory yeah on occasion throughout the film but i i genuinely and i know that i'm in the bag for this movie i know that i'm biased and i've loved it for 26 years and i will love it the rest of my life mm-hmm. but i think he's what he's doing in this is a lot more complicated and nuanced and uh, even rather like he's not doing some bizarre like otherworldly rapping blind general like he is incentive of a woman like Vincent's right. moves and his great Vincent's craziness feels justified. Yeah. Well, he also, he, he also is like, yeah, he gets to have grounded moments too. Like, I don't think like, like send of a woman, I guess like, you know, it's really easy to say that that movie is like, in, it, it is crazy. I'll just say it is, but like, uh, but like in this we, movie, we have to, we have to watch it again. <laughs> we will, we will. And uh, Hey, you know what? Yeah, We'll uh, be watching it. I'll be watching again. And I, I, I still stand by my vote. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but in this movie, uh, in this movie, justice for any is... given Sunday. <laughs> no, never. There is. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, in this movie, it is like it's nuts how like he can like feel like a real person even when he does like the great ass scene and all that stuff. Cause I think it is like, maybe it is like the fact that he does so much improv in this movie. Not everything is improv, obviously. Like for example, like that one scene is like very, like in the diner was like perfectly. Yeah. There's no improv in the diner. Not not at all. Yeah. Uh, But like, I think like, I don't know, like maybe like, it's like the fact that like the craziness comes from a real place. I don't know. Like it just, it works. It works with the, and also I do like stand by, like this is like a world where like everything is 20% heightened. Like everything, like because, like mm-hmm. in like real life, like there wouldn't be a crazy gun. Like that's insane. Yeah. Like it wouldn't be like Fallujah outside of a bank. No, like that's bonkers. That was bonkers. So like it's like yeah, this is like a world where just everything's slightly a little more intense, which is cool. Like it's fun. Like I want to live in an intense world. Actually, I don't want to live in an intense world. That sounds scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, Jessica, did you um, did you think he was too much? Or do you think it was kind of justified in his, um, there was a method to his madness, I, think I guess. I the, the Coke comment really clicked it for me. Um, that made a lot of sense to me. Because I was like, oh yeah, he just, like, he seemed so keyed up and like tuned in to everything. And like simultaneously really good at his job and also like crazy. Um, 
it didn't feel like too much for me because the whole the whole movie seemed grounded enough that we could have those insane moments and it would still feel realistic because like Patrick said it's still an insane situation like obviously there's there's <laughs> yeah. like a gang of bank robbers and one's a serial killer and they're gonna like shoot like 40 cops and then like try to get away with it while stealing 13 million dollars so it feels like justified in existing um especially because everything else is kept like pretty realistic if Al Pacino wants to go a little over the top with um Hank Azaria he can <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i i think uh i think we we all seem to be on the same yeah. page there that it does make hit there is a method to his madness it does make sense in this one and he does get scenes like you know a lot of the scenes where he's with his his wife and with natalie portman he's showing genuine yeah, calm care real. calm care with them uh, until he gets furious with his wife but I, um i'm not gonna lie i can watch a cut of this movie and this is a testament to michael mann's skill as a director and diane verona and al pacino's t- uh, skills as an actor i could watch just a cut of this movie that is just like a family drama that yeah. is just like like yeah like at al pacino when he goes to work you never see him or whatever like you never see all the crazy stuff happening like I could watch, I could watch like a weird. You know how like Anchorman has like that like other cut of the movie Anchorman. Like there's like a yeah there's like an, al- an alternate. Cu- I could watch an alternate wake, cut of this wake, movie. Wake up, Ron yeah. Burgundy. Yeah, I could watch the wake. Though I could watch the wake up, uh, Diane Verona. <laughs> Verona. I could watch the alternate cut of this <laughs> film that just like focuses on her yeah. and just like, oh, my husband's crazy. <laughs> this guy's a weirdo. Why am I? Why do I love this weirdo? <laughs> well i I think that there's this element like you could definitely see it like oh this like very like vigorous zealous passionate man yeah he's an intriguing guy oh no but then when you find out you have to live with him and all of the chaos that he is i i assume it gets old very very fast that's when you have to like stoop stoop to a ralph that's when you have to stoop to a ralph (laughs) Yeah, don't watch my fucking television. <laughs> Ralph. Oh, uh, it rules. Um, so we should move on to our next film, and it was the this is the film that Man made next, mm-hmm. uh, in 1999, and the film is The Insider, uh, co-written with uh, Eric Roth, one of the one of the better Hollywood screenwriters. Budgeted at 68 million dollars, it made 100.2. At the box office, this one has a 96% fresh rating at Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, critical consensus reading, intelligent, compelling, and packed with strong performances. The Insider is a potent corporate thriller. The Insider was nominated, uh, unlike Heat, The Insider was nominated for seven Academy Awards. Best Sound, Best Film Editing, Best Cinematography, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Actor for Russell Crowe, Best Director, and Best Picture. It won none of them. That was the year that American Beauty swept everything. Uh, 99, one of the generally considered one of the great movie years. But um, The Insider. Now, uh, both of you, this was new? Yes. Yeah, I had never even heard of this. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And this uh, this one actually uh, was considered quite a box office disappointment. Mm. 
in the moment for all of its critical acclaim. They thought they had a real, you know, uh, hot, you know, adult film. That would be kind of the awards-friendly movie that adults went and yeah. saw. Yeah, a real, fall. And, a real yeah, like, crowd affair. Of- you know, all the President's Men or something yeah. along those lines, like ripped straight from the headlines, like right, right. docudrama, little guy versus, uh, you know, whether it be government or corporations or something like that. But it just, it didn't connect. I think people thought it may have been a little perhaps dry, and it's, uh, you know, oh, a guy busting the cigarette companies and behind the scenes drama at 60 minutes. But um, but what did you all think? Did you do you uh, did you find it too dry or um, just right? <laughs> it, dude, it's like it was good. I was having a fun. Like, and the thing, too, is like, I think like heat. I think heat in some ways is a movie that's more entertaining to me, but like, I feel like the the just like there were so many great acting moments in this movie where like you just watch like it's like with bruce mcgill as like the uh the 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 mississippi lawyer fighting big tobacco like uh when he's like shutting down the uh big tobacco's lawyer oh my god like or like uh the scene with like you know christopher Plummer like just like uh tearing into steven tobolowski's little butt the, uh... like, is that the they call they call me Mr. Wallace? Yes. Oh, moment. God. Like, why wasn't he nominated for a dang Oscar? Damn. Yeah. I know he he actually I think he actually should have won for best supporting actor. Yeah, Plum- it's Plummer, a stu- it's Plummer, a stunning performance. Yeah. Plummer be regal. He regal in this movie. Um, I really really loved Christopher Plummer as Mike Wallace because even though I hadn't seen this film, I was familiar with Mike Wallace, and he's so both like spot on with an impression while still being like a good, genuinely good acting performance. Um, Mm -hmm. Like he nails his like speaking voice so well. I, I liked this film full disclosure. I watched he, um, when I got off work yesterday and then started uh, the insider right after fell asleep, like halfway through and then finished the insider Mm -hmm from um, eight to nine o'clock this morning before I had to go to work again. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, so that definitely, totally yeah, fair. definitely probably affects my opinions. I, it is clearly not as exciting as heat um, because it, no. it has <laughs> zero gunshots. Um, but uh, <laughs> it, it made me think a lot of um, the movie spotlight and other movies like it, I guess just like journalism based movies that have a lot of like competency porn where it's just like exciting to see people be like really good at and passionate about their jobs. And I think it, it's also really appealing to like see people have like normal jobs, even though 60 minutes is a prestigious um, uh, news show. Like it's, it's always exciting watching a movie that is about somebody doing kind of like very unglamorous work, like much like spotlight. Um, because I, I don't know, having like always been in show business, um, it's satisfying watching people just like wear regular, regular clothes and like go to an office and like just do kind of very dry research work because like, I guess because none of it is based in vanity, which, um, 
our chosen professions all are. <laughs> and yeah. There's, there's no <laughs> and vanity and no glamour. And so it's like, it's nice to settle into a world where it's just like, oh yeah, people just like do their job and then like go home and are at peace. But yeah. No, absolutely. But um, it, it was good. I, it was very clearly like a well-made film. I did not maybe enjoy it as much as Heat. Um, on a very base level because, uh, you know, less exciting, but all of the performances were really incredible. And I also learned, I kept trying to remind myself that like we grew up like hating cigarettes. Like I know so few people who smoke smoking was always like uncool with my generation yeah. and it's uncool now, like smoking at least amongst like my group of friends is a rarity. Um, but I, I kept trying to check myself and being like, oh, yeah, at the time, this was a huge deal. Like, before this, like, basically everybody smoked and people really didn't know maybe exactly how bad for you it was. Um, and so I tried to remind – because there were parts where I was like, this is very dramatic. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess at the time it was very dramatic <laughs> because people did not know that <laughs> stuff. Yeah. I will I will say too like um, one thing I like about Al Pacino's performance in this film is uh we see like a rare I feel like uh Pacino doesn't often get lauded as someone who's as charitable with his screen time mm-hmm. as uh, I feel like Meryl that was like one of our big like uh uh positive critiques of Meryl Streep is she's very like Meryl's like a person who can like share the screen with someone and like uh she doesn't like hog the show with her like you know wacky behavior or whatever and i feel like al pacino was just like incredibly subdued in this film in a way and you know he was like this in heat too and sub sometimes i'm not gonna say he wasn't like this in heat but like i just feel like this is like the most mature role i've seen we've seen him play in this like he plays like a real person in this movie uh which i think like in all the previous films we've seen for this uh all of them feel a little heightened to a certain degree, uh, be it because of like the film itself or the setting or whatnot. This is like the first time where like I was like, oh shit, like Al Pacino is like playing like a real guy and it never feels over the top, even when he's screaming. Like he doesn't have like a great ass moment <laughs> in this movie. Although how wild would that be? If just like be very, very funny. halfway through talking with, uh, with Russell Crowe, she's like, by the way, Russell, you got a great ass. <laughs> yeah, he was, he's a lot more restrained. And I think that's part of what made yeah. it like maybe less outright enjoyable than Heat, but more satisfying to see a bunch yeah. of like really high caliber actors playing um, really Ooh. real people, like quite literally real people, but also very um, well well fleshed out characters and it's it's just like you you feel like your cup is full when you watch a movie like that once again like the competency porn um of the characters in the film and the competency porn of the actors doing such a good job portraying these people the one of the big themes across man's entire catalog from thief to black hat is competency Mm. porn he's really like his entire thing is about these people who are, you know, Heat kind of is the maximalist example of this. These people who are really, really good at their jobs, but they're kind of barely hanging on as people. And they're all faced with this moment of like, 
if I go too far into this, if I give myself up to this, can I come back? Can I be a grounded real person? Because I'm so invested. I'm so good, frankly, at what I do. A Miami Vice is probably like my other favorite example of this because they literally have to be undercover cops and they're losing themselves mm. to to the operation and like the uh Crockett, Sonny uh Sonny Crockett, Colin Farrell's character is like hanging on for dear life and everyone he meets that has shows him any level of emotion he's like almost becomes a puppy dog mm. too because he's just like I can't lose myself to this. I'm really really good at this. Like I'm as good a cop as Vincent Han is. In my own way, but um, I can't lose myself to this. But, you know, very telling the final shot of Miami Vice is literally him going back to work. Like he's like entering the police station at the end of it. But man's very impressed with these people. He's very, very like I think that in particular Lowell Bergman is a Michael Mann kind of guy. He just loves this guy who's super good at his job, but is also very rigid and moral and like has like a code basically to how he is going, you know, he's not going to lose his source. He's not going to burn him, And that's that. And, uh, it, I read actually earlier today that, uh, Bergman and man were close before this movie even happened. They were friendly. They knew of each other and man kind of heard about all the goings on at 60 minutes from Bergman directly before the story even came out. Oh my and he's like, oh, that's interesting. And then they got deeper into the story with Wygand. And um, I was telling Patrick, uh, man never actually met Wygand. Oh. The real guy. Uh, Eric Roth got a chance to. And <laughs> the report was Eric Roth said he found him kind of unpleasant. <laughs> the real guy. Um, totally yeah. fair. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, and I will say, too, like, Russell, yeah, he's so, like, a. Uh, He's so fascinating in this movie, Russell Crowe, because, like, it's at first it was, like, really hard for me to be, like, okay, he's playing someone who's, like, definitely, like, 20 years older than him, and, like, you know, like, and to me, like, Russell Crowe, like, he still has, like, that, he kind of has, like, that baby face from LA, LA Confidential. It was hard for me not to see, like, that, mm-hmm. like, you know, because he has, like, that, he's, like, a pugilist, almost, or something. Like, he just has, like, this energy of, like, a guy who's just, like, you know, pent up and he wants to like talk with his fists or something but it i think he like brings that energy to the role and it it it, it weirdly it works and like i'm i'm like enraptured by his weird bill maher hair and like his uh <laughs> like and his uh the way he like his like clipped way of speaking i don't know like uh, by the end of it i was like on board with yeah i was on the crow train. i will say that <laughs> there were a couple moments where um, his accent slipped like very noticeably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's like it's a weird. It's it does feel like. Um, so do you know uh, Don? If like he was like trapped with like Ruth, like he had to cast Crow, or was he like Crow's no. my boy? So Crow was like his boy. This Crow uh, in ninety eight, ninety nine. Crow was one of the kind of hottest up and coming. Okay, that's people. fair. He had just I, done uh, he had just done L.A. Confidential, and he was kind of the one of the breakout people in L.A. Right. Confidential. Yeah. He seemed very like just a very like exciting new face. He mm-hmm. he was um, 
I believe he shot the film Mystery Alaska between this one and The Insider, and then his very next movie after this was Gladiator. Oh so he was as hot as. Um... Oh, yeah. no, that that's crazy crow. to think Pink that crow. this came yeah. out before Gladiator, because Gladiator. I mean, obviously his like kind of like peak acting popularity, but also like peak hotness. And it's so weird that he was like mm-hmm. technically in the American consciousness first playing this like very sad like school teacher where they put like fake like white hair on him. A doughy fifty year uh, he's playing a doughy fifty year old and he's actually about thirty. Oh my god. I had no idea he was supposed to be fifty years old. I thought like, oh, they're stretching it to like forty based on like maybe the age of his kids, like his experience. Mm-hmm. But that's that's insane. Or yeah, maybe it, but yeah, it, it late forties, early fifties, okay. something okay. like that. Even then, yeah. But, right, cause, um, I, I, Cause I watched like yeah, it's so funny. Like I watched like footage of uh Wigand and it's like like it's like uh, this might have been like a role where like uh, not saying like you know it should be recast or whatever, but I you could see Philip Seymour Hoffman crush. Yeah, it. yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder. Yeah. I wonder how real life and, and, felt about like international sex symbol Russell Crowe playing him <laughs> in the movie <laughs> <laughs> because like Patrick said, like when his face, like the makeup is really good, the hair and makeup are excellent. But when you look at his face like close up and those tight close ups, you're like, yeah, that's like a very young handsome guy. <laughs> yeah, he's still yeah. a movie star. Yeah. <laughs> It's like trying to make Justin uh, throw anything. I, I did. I did read that the uh, the only other actor they looked at first was actually Val Kilmer. Uh, yeah, the and they were like, "Okay, what he's actually uh, too handsome. That's not believable." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, just him, just like walking, like he's like watering the plants. Yeah, he's like trying all. to whistle blow on like big tobacco, hair. and everybody's <laughs> like, "Have you thought about modeling?" <laughs> yeah. Man, Jet, he got Jet, a Jeff, I I know you're out of the science <laughs> game, but uh, Cal- Calvin Klein is hiring. You know, <laughs> I know a certain a certain Thomas Hill figure who'd be interested. Yeah. <laughs> Sir Thomas but himself. The, but yeah, uh, Crow was the. Um, he seemed like a, a real obvious choice. Man went back and watched um, L.A. Confidential and uh, Romper Stomper, the one Ooh. where he played a skinhead, the Australian Ooh. film. That's a wild and, movie. Um, and he was, uh, he was like, yeah, this guy's got, he's got something. And, you know, he was absolutely right. I'll never, I'll never forget. I mean, I was like, I saw this movie with my dad when it came out. Mm-hmm. We both loved it. Uh, it immediately went into our burgeoning DVD collection. Mm-hmm. And then um, Gladiator came out the next year. And I was, I was a Russell Crowe fan because I loved LA Confidential and Insider. And I was so pumped for Gladiator. And it actually came out the exact same day as my senior prom. Oh, wow. wow. And I remember telling my girlfriend at the time we were like trying to get photos and I worked so hard on trying to figure out if I could time a matinee of gladiator before we had to get into <laughs> all of the uh, senior prom stuff. And I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. I was just sorely disappointed and I get to prom and I had a friend who worked at a movie theater he walks right up to me. We're both in our tuxes. He grabs me by the shoulder. He goes, he fights tigers. <laughs> and I was like, no. He's like, I was like, and I'm looking around. I'm like, I don't want to be here. I want to see Russell Crowe fight tigers. We went to the matinee the very next day. The first showing the very next day in our suits. So we all got to see it regardless. But that was how pumped and how big of a deal he seemed. Mm. In that moment, I mean, he, obviously, you know, he's 
He's certainly, I think he's still an excellent actor, but he's changed. Oh, yeah. You know, he's definitely in the heart of being kind of a character actor and kind of like a the heavy, like, you know, you're doing a cop movie and he's like the mayor yeah. that they're dealing yeah. with. He's not, he's no longer the hot young cop. He's like the chief or the mayor or something like that. It who is, has to be dealt with. It is interesting. Like he is like, I think like one step away from being, cause he's not, he's not one of those dudes. He's not like a Bruce Willis. He's not one of those guys who's like shooting like movies in Bulgaria that are probably like a weird like tax like break or like you know they somehow somehow this money is going to like the Serbian mafia uh these movies like when they film these movies in Bulgaria but uh he he's like he's like one step above he's like one step above that he's not yeah, quite, yeah he's not doing uh he was good in Boy Erased I liked Boy Erased he was good in that plays a he plays I, a bad I think he's he's a genuinely genuinely good actor yeah who's an enjoy like I know he's um bit of a handful i know he, uh, there are stories that he was a bit of a handful even on the insider oh, in terms no, really? of uh well like locking your locking yourself in the trailer and demanding explanations for script things oh. I, I i i heard an interview during quarantine actually I, I watched a seminar with eric roth and basically man was using eric roth as his go-between mm. with <laughs> russell crowe he's like i need to fly you in and explain something oh, yeah. in the script because he's stopped was, listening to me and he's just arguing when i was with going me. down the wikipedia holes for like every both of these films and subsequently every single actor in both of these films um russell crowe's wikipedia has a section called altercations and controversies like there's a whole subsection <laughs> to describe all the fights he gets oh. in and controversies he's been a part of yeah oh, he's he's an interesting guy he's an intense guy he seems like he's very emotional guy who has issues uh issues containing yeah. that yeah. emotion sometimes yeah he's he's yeah but i um, guess like yeah I, in, I, retros- I, in retrospect when south park makes like a parody of yeah. you uh, having <laughs> fights all over the world like that should be pretty obvious i That's can't pretty see good- russell yeah. Crowe without <laughs> thinking about the south park version of russell crowe <laughs> yeah uh, yeah i know he's he, he i i like him I think he's good, but yeah, I think he's this 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 run between Confidential, this yeah. movie, and Gladiator is certainly. And oh, then he did, um, oh, Pete Crow, you know, Pete Beautiful Crow. Mind, and uh, oh, yeah. Mind. you know that kind of st- all that stuff within the oh, next yeah. years after this. He has a very like strong six to seven year window. It's like he from, was just killing it. It's like from L.A. Confidential to I would say it ends probably with. Uh, some people would probably say it ends with Robin Hood. I'm going to say it ends with American Gangster. Like, you know. I, I, I would vote it ends with Robin Hood, but I agree that there is a stretch. Yeah. Insane. I guess it depends on how much you like Body of Lies. <laughs> He's know. good in it. Yeah. He's good in it. Body of Lies, a forgettable Ridley Scott. Another yeah. um, Ridley Scott that should have been directed by Tony, which would have mm. fixed a lot of a uh, lot of elements to it. I will say, state of play, fucking slaps. Okay. Yeah, he's good in that too. Yeah, he's a good. But, one. Uh, but this the, uh, this movie's stacked. I mean, it goes beyond Pacino, goes beyond Crow, goes beyond Christopher Plummer. We mentioned Diane Venora returns uh, to the Michael Mann world, playing uh, Jeffrey Wigand's wife Leanne. Uh, great Philip Baker Hall yes, uh, plays Don Hewitt. Love, love Philip yeah. Baker Hall. Debbie Mazar plays Debbie in a very Trejo, yeah. <laughs> Trejo uh, <laughs> moment as uh, Al Pacino's like 
absolutely kick-ass yeah. assistant who's like always always ready to bring him a yeah, phone number. Yeah, I was number. disappointed she wasn't uh, I love Debbie Mazar. Oh, yeah. Really good. Uh, Steven Tobolowski plays a corporate suit. Uh, Eric Cluster. So good. Uh, built, just made, made for the role. Yep. Um, Calm Fior and Bruce McGill play the killer Mississippi attorneys who are uh, bringing the heat. Bruce McGill scene gives me um, genuine goosebumps when yeah. he yells, wipe that smirk off your face. <laughs> it's uh, probably, probably the only awesome. Time- Probably the only time in my life I will ever root for a lawyer from Mississippi. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> like one that's not affiliated with the ACLU. Like, yeah. Like. Um, Michael- interesting fact, too. Yeah, uh, Mike Moore, who plays the attorney general of Mississippi, who's working with them. Th- he he was playing himself. Oh. He was, was the real attorney oh general. <laughs> They, uh, there's a lot of crossover in that. Yeah. Man was really gunning for realism. The deposition scene where Bruce McGill gets to yell his, wipe that smirk off your face. That was the real room that this took, this actually took place in, for instance. Oh, yeah. The um, absolute desire for realism. You know, the hotel Wygan was staying at, they got tried to get as close as possible to the one Wygan was trapped in in the real time uh we should talk about michael gambon who plays oh, the he's... the brown and williamson ceo who is a spooky bad michael guy gambon. <laughs> like a demonic demonic presence and like a testament to michael gambon's skill as an actor yeah. that he's such a demonic presence yeah his his accent <laughs> yeah. also slipped a few times um but yeah that is true there were some moments yeah where I was like, but eh, you sound like you're a bit from yes Easter. yes but um it it still worked <laughs> because his um yeah, his his what's the word? Presence was just so like upsetting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, from that moment where he brings him in to talk about the NDA, you you know that Wigand is like yeah. in trouble. Like you're like this; these guys are scary, and they're like, you're like if you slip, man, these guys are coming for you. Like they set it up the tension and kind of the odds that are stacked against Jeffrey. Yeah, and I love that really really well voice which he has a little bit in other films but um especially in this one when he's putting on like a southern accent has like a really sing-songy quality to it and it undercuts like how scary everything that he's saying is that he's just like no you can't like sign this contract or else we're gonna sue you until you are dead (laughs) (laughs) we've mentioned gina gershon shows up as the uh corporate attorney who um Mike Wallace really, really dresses yeah. down <laughs> in, a, in a pretty intense moment. But oh, yeah. she's like, listen, Mike. And that's, of course, the uh, Mike, Mike, call me Mr. Wallace. And he's just like uses all of his height to intimidate everyone in the room. Like, I'm the biggest star here. And then um, we should obviously mention Rip Torn. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Our, like, our, yeah. Uh, previous Stanley Tucci Award winner for Defending Your Life. Uh, you know, small role, but goodness, always great to see him and his weird energy. I like a dash of torn. Yeah, just a dash of torn. That's all you need. Oh man, but I think um, you know, it's interesting, Jessica. You said you watched this in two halves because I actually feel this movie works in two halves because I feel the first half is Wigan's story and the second half is Bergman's yes story. Yeah, 
like the 60 minutes drama really takes hold in the second half of the film whereas this the the brown and williamson stuff dominates the first half and um yeah i was interested both of you because uh, alp gets most of his big moments Mm -hmm. in the second half of the film like he gets the uh are we gonna run it no (laughs) you know speech but you know i i wanted to also mention too that he every time he yells or is angry it's a really justified like yeah this would be when a real person would be upset and angry and yell yeah, no, it, it totally works. Every move he makes is justified. And even if it's like a little like, even if it's like, you know, it's like that's just Al Pacino. It's like, I feel like it's almost like if uh, that's probably how Al Pacino would react in real life. You know what I mean? Or like, I don't know. Like it, it works. It feels like a real human reacting appropriately. Mm-hmm. No, when I, I when I saw him at the Groundlings, he, you know, he said, um, what? I've been passed, you know, and it was justified because he thought he did a really good job in his audition. But, um, oh boy, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> didn't make the ground. No, no, didn't Al didn't make the, it's doubt far for he he's how far he's fallen. Looks like he's but, not um, gonna become the next uh, spokesman for progressive. No, no, uh, yeah, no. no, he's out. You know, if you, if you need, if you need someone to do a guest spot on what is it, American Mom. Or something like that, and do a funny moment. He's not going to get it because he didn't make it. Yeah. But yeah, I think this movie. I hadn't seen it for a little while. Uh, I definitely like watch Heat more. You know, I watch Miami Vice more. Watch Collateral more of the um, the Michael Mann films. But this mm-hmm. this is this is a really well put together, really rock solid movie. And I think Al's performance is really really good, and he gets to play like. A guy man clearly admires, so he's like a yeah. good guy like yeah. in this movie. He's just genuinely like, this guy's got the right spirit and the right politics and the right behaviors. Yeah, and a normal guy. It's nice. It's yeah. nice that he's not playing like, yeah, Frank Slade or like, yeah, like yeah. a crazy like uh, super cop or something. Or yeah, even Vincent Hanna. <laughs> yeah, it's like as much as I love Vincent Hanna, like, uh, it's just like, uh, or like uh, his, even like a... Uh, like, because I feel like this movie is almost most comparable to any given Sunday. But, uh, yeah. He's a rougher, his, the coach, D'Amato, in yes. uh, any given Sunday is so definitely a rougher character. Yeah. It also feels real. Feels real. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is definitely by a wide margin the most morally sound character yeah. we've seen. Yeah. Al Pacino play in our, in thus far in the tournament. And I think you could. Just looking ahead at the schedule, it might be the most. It might be. It might be just in general that we see. This is like, this is like peak morality it's... for Al Pacino. We have we haven't gotten to Scarface or Carlito yet. Oh, no, man. yeah, nothing the... to worry about, lol. <laughs> so funny. By the way, I haven't seen those movies, but I have like seen like oh god, like uh, there's like a there, there's like a Mark Echo at at the, at the Houston in the in the mall in Houston that I used to go to the Galleria. And they would just play Scarface in Carlito's way on like repeat. So I've seen like portions of those movies played at the just the Mark Echo store. That, that it's very what a weird what a weird thing to. It's interesting though that should, it's a testament to like its cultural place that they would just like as like an amuse boot as like as like a the way someone would put like a vase, you know, in a uh, on a table in a fancy restaurant. They would just have like a TV constantly playing Carlito's way on mute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like 
said of course too um <laughs> the winner the winner of this matchup is going on to play the winner of the Scarface Carlitos way matchup. So Lowell Bergman could be taking them on in true, uh, true, uh, true competition. But, you know, I think the only, the, the one thing I think of this though, is that is, is Al's performance a little too, because he, he shockingly for Al does not get the showy role in this film, you know, whether it's Russell Crowe or Christopher Plummer, or even Bruce McGill getting his moments of a little bit showier stuff. Um, you know, I, it's, it's, it's tough with Al because he works on such extremes Mm -hmm. Again, going back to the Meryl Streep comparison. She's so consistent. There's no like moment where you're like, Oh, Meryl, I think you cranked it up a little too hard or downplayed it too low there. She's like, works at the perfect hum. Yeah. Right. So it's going to be interesting here as we head into, um, head into the choices. Uh, did you all have any final thoughts on Pacino's? performance in the insider before we move on to the vote no i'm ready okay all right we're ready we're gonna of course Uh, jessica i'm sorry did you no i don't think so i have i have more thoughts on the film but i think like pacino's performance is just so like solid that there's no arguing with any point of it it just it all succeeds Mm -hmm. at what uh it is meant to do yeah i think that you could almost say uh the the same for the film it's just like yeah this is a solid movie does what it absolutely does what it needs to do yeah it's like a perfect piece of like yeah just everything it has a goal it achieves it everything's done to the peak performance (laughs) yeah yeah so we'll move on to the uh, the moment of truth here. Of course, though, before we get to our vote, we need, and as we mentioned before, both these films are completely stacked yeah. with other cast yeah. members, but we need to give out a John Cazale Supporting Player of the Week award. There are many, many, many options here. Patrick, would you like to give this a go first? Yeah. On who you're giving the John Cazale Supporting Player of the Week award to. Uh, you could give it to, like, anyone. <laughs> like, they're all so good. Everyone's so good. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard. They're all good. Uh, I gotta give mine, I think. I'm gonna give it to, uh... I'm gonna give it to Diane Venora. Just because... Wow. She was, like, in both films. Yeah, she one. was, like, and she <laughs> killed it. Yeah, she crushed it. <laughs> she crushed it. It's, like... Easy pick, oh. and I know, and I could like, uh, you know, if someone else wants to take a give that one, I could because I have I have backups I can give too. Like, uh, it's just like a yeah, she's like incredible. She has like one of the the best scenes in the movie. Like her, like just expressing her distaste with Pacino, and like oh god, and yet they feel like they it does feel like they love each other. It's so sad. Uh, it's very good. Uh. You know, I might also give a. You know what? Uh, I, I'm not gonna give it give any uh, to any other ones because people might want to take other. I'm just yeah, giving it to Diane Venora. She gets the. Uh, she gets the. Okay. She gets the gazelle. And, uh, you know, yeah, Jessica, you're up. Who is your gazelle uh, winner this week? This is tough because um, 
there are so many people. My honorable mentions would be uh, Debbie Mazar and um, Christopher Plummer. Also, because I just love them. They're both so mm-hmm. pleasing to see in every single thing they're in. But it goes to uh, Dennis Haysbert. Um, he just brings so much, oh, so much God, weight so to maybe total like 30 lines of dialogue in the whole movie. But it really all boils down to the line, um, why are you hanging with me? And I don't think yeah. I don't think that's exactly right because mm-hmm. I don't. He says like the character's name, and it may be a slight variation of that. But when he when he asks her why she's hanging around him, um, it's yeah. so heartbreaking. It's not. It's not. It's not why. Why am I so stinky or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Earlier. It is not. I <laughs> yeah. am so I stinky, and she says you are not stinky. <laughs> it's something along the lines of like, so why are you even hanging around me? <laughs> And yeah, which is like uh, that. That's like yeah, I felt that too. It's just like oh, and then oh her God. seeing his photo at the bar. Oh my gosh! Oh, and that's uh, just a, that's a, yeah. um, the minorest of subplots in that movie. But he, in that moment, it feels in, just an incredible yeah. way. Once again, some uh, a subplot that could have been it's, its own whole movie in that movie. Yeah, <laughs> there's like yeah. four oh, of them man. in that movie. <laughs> a wonderful tragedy <laughs> film. Yeah. <laughs> Um, this is so tough. I mean, I love both these movies so much and, you know, things like I love, I love Val Kilmer as Chris Chihalis. Uh, so I love, you know, I love Tom Size more as Chirito. I think he's awesome too. I think he's just terrific in the film. And, um, but you know, I just keep coming back. It's, this fits the John Cazale, Cazale, Cazale. I, I know I'm in my head about it, but, um, I, this fits the fits the bill for me. I'm giving it to Bruce McGill for the insider. Mm. I just uh, basically knocks it out of the park with just a couple of scenes. Oh yeah, totally. He crushes it. But yeah, uh, uh, incredibly, incredibly difficult week for the supporting player of the week. Yes. Disappointing. Perhaps so Christopher Plummer didn't get yeah. it. Yeah. Is this up there with last week's uh, Jamie Fox incident? Oh, when in I which uh, Patrick changed his vote. <laughs> I did change it. Not this time, though. Not this time. Sorry. But we sh- we should um, before we move on to the votes, I just want to give a shout out to um, research material for this week. I used my copy of FX Feeney's The Great uh, FX Feeney uh coffee table book about michael mann for most of my behind the scenes facts that i've owned in my library since 2008 has traveled with me to house to house and i will never get rid of ever um and and i read the uh the heat section of that uh karina longworth al pacino book oh yes you Uh, you gifted to me don that was very nice so that was and then i took a look at um the all of the special features on my copy of heat that i own on blu-ray i watched the director's definitive edition we should mention too that michael mann makes changes to all of his films whether it's called the director's cut or not from theatrical to home video release and like for instance manhunter and last of the mohicans have gone through pretty significant changes there's been some differing things on heat i remember the thrill of seeing heat at new beverly a couple years ago and that was a print that was available in uh, when the film came out, so you could see the slight differences. Miami Vice has a director's cut of note, and there is a, apparently a Black Hat director's cut out there, oh. which I'm 
just dying to see. That's a, um, another, another example, Hemsworth, another example of an actor where you see him and it's like, there's no way this guy is a convicted super hacker. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're like, why would, Chris why would you get into convicted... hacking if you look like that? Why? There's a reason that Chris yeah. Hemsworth yeah, I know. is a Total movie hunk. star. Yeah. <laughs> just star in commercials, yeah. you fool. Yeah, you'd make so much more Don't money. Don't skills. <laughs> He's a genius. He's a trouble genius mm-hmm. hacker. You know how that goes. Yeah, we've all been there. But he, um, you know, I do. One of the things I truly love about that too is that to disguise his Australian accent, he's basically doing a Michael Mann impression, <laughs> oh. and he's doing Michael Mann's thick Chicago accented voice that he has. If you ever we made a film called film in Chicago called Heat <laughs> or uh. Thief, Thief was his, but. Uh, <laughs> But we should get to it here. Are this is this is going to be interesting? I do not know at all where we are going here. Um, as we all know, this is based on purely based on performance, not about your admiration for the film or quality of the film. So, Patrick, as usual, we will start with you. This is tough. This is by far the toughest one. Uh, I thought last week's was pretty tough, but this is hard because, like, on one hand, you have Heat, which has like a uh, a great performance and some of the best like weird ad libbed uh, Pacino moments uh, in history. Uh, but then on the other hand, you have The Insider, which is like almost a I would almost describe it as like a perfect performance. Like, uh, there's not like a false move in The Insider, and unlike any given Sunday, uh, I would argue there's never like I'm, I feel like uh, Al Pacino kind of gets lost in the cacophony of any given Sunday uh, to a certain mm-hmm. degree. And in this movie, uh, just, it, you know, it's a big movie. It's a big but it's not like the scope isn't as epic as any given Sunday. And so you're as invested in Al Pacino uh, almost as much as uh, Russell Crowe. Maybe a little more. Like I personally, like I grok that character. I like I enjoy that character more than uh, I enjoy that character more than Russell Crowe uh, personally, because uh, he's like you know likable and he's like good at his job and he's great. Uh, you know, Al Pacino though, like very easy could have been lost in Heat. You know, lost in that ocean of great acting in Heat, and he is probably the best part of that movie. Uh, it's. It's it sucks. This is hard. Oh man, because like, and I like Heat more. I do like Heat. Heat's a more entertaining movie. Uh, but I think uh, I cannot believe I'm fucking saying this. I'm gonna say The Insider. I think he gives a better performance in The Insider. Just like if we're looking at purely performance and not movie, like he has more he has to do in The Insider, and he does it. It's like he gives like the. It's like I don't know. It's like the platonic ideal of like an adult film film performance like it doesn't like this is like the peak of like a dark waters or a president's men yeah uh it's hard though it's hard it sucks because like the great that is like the great ass thing is insane and that's like one of the craziest it's all hard man that's the insider i feel i feel bad i feel bad uh but that's it heavy heart insider i'm doing i'm sticking to it he's gonna cry himself to sleep that's you're gonna get your tears you're gonna get your tears because you're gonna cry yourself to sleep tonight thinking about that choice. No, no, no. This boy. Um, cry. So I think. 
I think that there are two distinct sides to Al Pacino's career. There's his earlier younger side where he was kind of the brooding young man played kind of like tough guys or losers or guys trying to make it through. And then the latter part of his career where he's a star. And as we've described it, the hua mm-hmm. side of his career. Yeah. Um, the insider to me is actually a throwback to the earlier, more controlled side of his career well heat is um i think his greatest hua era performance yes but the insider also came out in the u.s era so what does that mean <laughs> am i stalling because i am unsure here's the deal i didn't vote for scent of a woman but I am voting for Heat. I think it's his greatest loud performance. Oh, and man. That's Insider's terrible. more of a two-hander to me. Russell Crowe was the one nominated for Best Actor, even though Al is excellent I think, in the film. I, think I don't Al, want to underhand him. I think Al's better than, I, I think Al's better than Russell, though, by, by yeah. a country mile. It, you know, I think that it's not as sexy of a part because he doesn't play old. He didn't have to gain weight, didn't mm-hmm. have to change an accent or anything like that. It's excellent. Like, you know, if you learn anything, listener, from this episode, just watch both these movies if you haven't seen them. Like, that's the most enjoyable place to be. But I have to. I have to. I think Vincent is just a towering character, towering performance. Yeah, you're totally It's. Fair. It's just, it's, you know, in the midst of one of the kind of biggest, most epic movies you'll ever see. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, it's it is tough because it is hammy. Yeah, and it's there's not no bad. question about it. It's like, it's... and like, I, I here's the thing too. I can't critique your choice because I fucking chose said of a woman. So there's no way where I can be like, it is like, and I think, and I agree with you that like he just like, it's such a great, like if this was in the hua section, this would be the winner of the hua section. Clearly. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I mean, I think this is, uh, like we said, a little bit more mm-hmm. controlled and consistent version of Lieutenant Colonel Frank Slade yeah. with Vincent Hanna. But I think Vincent Hanna's, you know, g- God bless the, the people, the Scent of a Woman people, Bo Goldman, who wrote it. I think Vincent Hanna's just a more consistent, re- consistently written character. Oh, with totally. A, with a better arc mm-hmm. than Lieutenant Colonel. Like, we talked about it on Scent of a Woman. I mean, yeah. The fact that he's like the uncle with the heart of gold when he gets home and does all the speechifying for Chris O'Donnell makes little sense. Oh, not at all. It makes no sense. But the, here's the thing, though. For me, like, the the speech he gives at the school, like, I voted for Son of a Woman because that speech was insane. It's all stupid. Like, it's just like the, the, the whole scenario is fucking dumb. It's a dumb yeah. scenario. But I fucking felt shit by the end of it. I was like moved by the what might be the stupidest moment in fucking cinematic history, and the fact that I felt something for this thing so stupid, I had to vote for it. That's why. And am I wrong? Probably. Like it's, it's boy. Th- th- this should have been how you your monologue for when you voted 
percent of a woman because that's real persuasive you, you go on the debate stage against the presidential candidates it's stupid but i felt something yeah and that's like that's how like i uh and i uh but and here but stupid but i did i felt something i felt real and then and here's the thing too like god I, I have those same like beats with heat like i feel like you know and not even the stupid because it's not heat's not a stupid movie this movie makes sense it's logical like every Michael Mann movie, it is like this perfect puzzle that he's crafted for you that you get to witness. And he uh, fulfills all of his roles perfectly in both films. But I think the only reason I give it to the insider above uh, Heat is because like it's like he's playing... The insider truly does feel like a real person that would exist in reality. And it like... And uh, on top of that, like, I empathize, and it's like he gets to, uh, I guess the thing, too, is, like, he doesn't, like, I think that's, like, the thing with Any Given Sunday is, like, I just, uh, you felt for his, like, big bass, his football speech at the end, and, like, it didn't, that didn't, like, uh, it didn't, like, didn't, didn't hit me. It, didn't, it might be because I'm not a football it, guy. Well, but no, Eddie, but it's interesting, and I'm I'm trying to, yeah, I'm sure we'll get some feedback on this but you know i mean voting last week and making it very clear i went with the more nuanced and subtle performance in the any given sunday over sent but here going with the bigger one there's not a lot of consistency on my voting but yeah it's, it's, it's just you know you got to go with how you feel and i think you you did say it right though i mean it even comes down to their character names i mean lowell bergman that's a very like regular guy yeah kind of name whereas vincent hannah is like a larger character than life, yeah. a, it, that's a character in a movie kind of name yeah. you know you don't run into like vincent hannah's in, yeah. the, in the world or anything like that but and and you know it's like, a maximalist movie and yeah. insider is not a maximalist movie and i think like uh and i think like uh the uh the it's weird because like i am like going against how i voted last time like i am like it's like yeah. a complete like 180 for me but yeah, we switch roles. Yeah, we switch roles. We, you have taken the Robert De Niro goatee, and I have, oh, yeah. and I am uh, waxing rhapsodic about the finest asses in the world. But uh, two sides of the same coin. <laughs> yeah, two sides of the same coin. Two sides of the same ass. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh <laughs> that, that's a T-shirt. No, that's a T-shirt. You know, you can support your favorite podcast, and you could wear it to spring break, baby. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it's uh, yeah, wearing that bad boy to spring break. Uh, mm-hmm. FBI. Uh oh. <laughs> uh, but uh, I will say that like I think it is just like um, I think part of it too is like with any given Sunday, like that movie is so crazy. That is like a crazy, and he's like the weirdly like the. I don't know. It's like, it's tough. I need to like, there's so much to think about. These are like four very different. He's, Vincent is the star. Like it's an ensemble. He is an ensemble movie, mm-hmm. but Vincent is like, he's the, I mean, like it basically comes down to the fact he survives mm-hmm. too, but um, you know, it's his, I, I mean, it's both theirs. It, they are co-leads, but it, it really feels to me oh, like it's, it's like he a, does, it's uh, Vincent's Vin- journey and, He's yeah, the protagonist. Macaulay, who am I kidding? No, yeah, I mean, I think, I think Vincent. I think it's fair to say he's the protagonist, and like, I think, like, golly, it's 
You know, I, and as much hard. as we loved any, as much as we enjoyed watching any given Sunday, I would say, you know, and no offense to anyone involved in either film, but I think Heat is an unequivocally better film oh, than yeah. any given Sunday. I, you know what's so funny is like it made me wish, like I would love to see a version of any given Sunday where uh, Michael Mann. I want to see like what Michael Mann would have done. Because like one we should, thing, um, we'll put up a link to Michael Mann's um, Nike commercial that he made. Uh, it was a football commercial that was Steven Jackson and Sean Merriman set to uh, one of the themes from Last of the Mohicans. Mm. It's a truly astonishing commercial that I remember seeing while watching football. And I was like, oh, that was directed by someone who's good. And then <laughs> I was and I looked it up and it was man who made the made it. I know he you're right. I would love to see a Michael Mann football film. I think he would do a really some really cool stuff with it. Well, I think the thing, too, is, like, he's so good at balancing, like, it's, like, the only other director I can think of that's as good as at balancing, like, 50 characters at once and making them all equally engaging is James Cameron. Like, he is, like, one of those... Like, and I'm glad you brought him up, because I just read Michael Mann has Avatar in his top 10 films of all time. That's kind of insane. I don't know if I... Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, but I also... Actually, I do see it, because I can see Michael Mann being, like, a behind-the-camera... Because, like, I do think that, like, if we're just talking in terms of, like, like the, like, blood and guts put into making a movie, or, like, like, the nuts and bolts and whatnot, like, Avatar is, like, maybe one of the biggest, like, the most successful filmic creations ever just in terms of scope and like just like the sheer tech put into it for its time i think that's one of the reasons too why i respond so heavily to heat because i think i put myself in like the director's shoes and it's like thinking about designing and accomplishing the bank robbery and downtown la shootout in oh, like without without green screen or any of the effects that they're around today it's um it's impressive. It's really impressive. <laughs> Tied up. Insider. Oh, that was almost like an L. Tied up. Tied um, up. <laughs> uh, in, one vote for Insider, one vote for Heat. Our deciding vote goes to our guest, Jessica. Go ahead with your final thoughts. All right. Um I like both of these movies. I would recommend both of these movies to other people. Um, Al Pacino was very good in both films, um, both incredible casts. If we're boiling it down to just performance and which Al Pacino performance I have left um, enjoying more, it's The Insider. Oh! Wow! I know. Oh, oh. <laughs> Holy shit. oh, a massive, massive upset. Oh, I know. Wow. Damn. The insider takes the victory 2 1 over Heat. <laughs> Incredible. Oh, wow. Wow. If it, if Science. It between um, Pacino Insider and uh, De Niro's Heat performance, I would pick De Niro. But um, I, it, it's it's just like a much more satisfying performance in the Insider. Whereas like uh, in Heat, he's at like his, I don't know what's what's the right word. Um, 
highest frequency, but <laughs> yeah. that that doesn't uh, equal better for me. It's funnier. It's definitely more like Pacino. But um, if if we're just talking about acting, I th- I think he did a better job in The Insider. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Incredible! What a spice! The, the uh, Pacino. We we've been predicting it. This one is gonna be a little crazier than the Meryl <laughs> Streep season. We don't have a Sophie's Choice yeah. cruising to the finish line <laughs> oh, <laughs> this man. time around. An, this an is upset. anyone's ball game. Anyone's oh. ball game. Any of these films. All you people out there who are saying to yourselves, "Could it be Carlito's way? Could it be cruising?" Yeah. You still have a chance. Yeah, maybe Scarecrow. Scarecrow yeah. comes out of nowhere and takes it all. We don't know. The only the only one that has got that has cruised through its first round matchup thus far was, of course, Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah, which uh, you know a, a a tough a tough challenge, but that is a tough. I don't one. think any of these none of these are Sophie's choice. So it's any you know Al Pacino's greatest performance, still any performances game. Are you guys Does, are you guys doing Jack and Jill in this season, or did you write it off? We're going to be talking, we're doing an episode called Weird Pacino okay. as a bonus episode, <laughs> and we're going to be discussing Dick Tracy, mm-hmm. Jack and Jill, and his performance in Gigli. A massive, thrilling episode and upset. Yeah. I call it an upset. I think he it was is- probably the... Um, the favorite going in, but Insider takes yeah. it into the second round. Wow. Man, so big. How do we go in? How do we top that? Well, a stupid game is the only, <laughs> uh, only, only, only way to proceed. Patrick, what do we, this week's game is a game we did in the Meryl Streep season. It fit Meryl Streep a little bit more as Meryl Streep sings in every single movie she's in, as we learned. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, this game is uh, Al Pacino in the rain, or I was, um... uh, was going to say Al Pachinging in the rain. Uh, it's okay. a bad name. The name in the rain. The name is bad. The name is bad. We'll think of a better I... name. We promise. They get they get the idea of it. But uh, Al Pacino, you know, he's made a lot of movies, and and we know Broadway. They love mm. transitioning pre-existing intellectual property into musical theater. I mean. Yeah. Everything from Legally Blonde to our beloved Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Yes. But how many Al Pacino films have been transitioned to that, you know, what is uh, the Great Golden Great Way, White Way, or what? I don't know. What's the, There's a nickname for Broadway. I'm not familiar, obviously. Right, right, right. Let us know. Um, he's got a great broad filmography. The producers on Broadway have come to us and say, we got the rights to every Al Pacino movie. We got to turn this into a musical. Mm. Which ones, though, do you suggest? Patrick, which Al Pacino film do you believe has musical written all over it? Oh, man. Uh, For me, I would say the Al Pacino film that has musical written all over it. You know what? Uh... It's not the one that has it written all over it necessarily, but uh, God damn, I would love to see an Any Given Sunday musical. I'd love to oh. see someone try to pull that off. That would be such a wild, you know, like have like a, a number about like, uh, you know, the, the 
the football boys throwing a gator into the showers, like that moment. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm kind of I would love to see uh, Matthew Modine and James Woods's characters do a duet based upon the proper way to be doctors in a, in a football locker room. You can't just keep giving these boys uh, drugs when they need them or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's oh, talk about two sides of the same coin. Yeah, true. Two sides of the same damn coin. Yeah, regular Vincent, Hannah, Neil McCauley. Yeah, I, I, I would see it. I would see it. I'd be curious about how the football sequences would be staged. Oh, that'd be fun. But I think that would be that'd be. You think you'd uh, top Spider-Man turn off the Dark's injury, um, state? I believe oh. Spider-Man had a lot of injuries. I think that this this could this could there could be a lot of pain. In this, oh, definitely. In this there would be there or would be a play. lot. Of- there would be a lot of injuries. Uh, people would probably like break their, you know, coccyx or something. But on the plus yeah. side, you get to see uh, there'd be a great scene where Al Pacino's like uh, when he goes up to Jamie Fox and is like, "Hey, I, you know, I know a lot about jazz actually." And then he gets to do a like, you know, I from yeah. from Coltrane to you know other jazz musicians. Oh, I know yeah, them all. Yeah. <laughs> And it could be jazzy in the background. Maybe he, at one point, he plays the saxophone himself. That'd be a lot. And of course, Al Pacino yeah. would have to play his role. I, I to- see it. I see it. Well, I we need to make that clear. Al Pacino is part of the package here. He will be playing the same role oh, in whatever okay. one of these musicals are. Because I mean, what a one, you know. We got we got you. Got to see a minute. Um, I like it. I mean, I'll 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 um. I'll spend uh, sixty-five dollars on yeah. the cheap seats. A, a Julie Taymor joint. It'd be a Julie Taymor joint. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Jessica, what is your pick for uh, Al Pacino's musical? Um, my sincere answer, as a like musical theater kid, I think the the most likely and easiest and best would be dog day afternoon um even though i haven't seen that film i am like aware of the plot and it would be easy to make a one location musical and Mm -hmm. also because so much of that is like character based it would be easy to make um songs it's it's easiest to write strong musical theater numbers when you have strong characters and um the like fun twist in that movie would also be a great emotional charger for the stage musical. But m- the one I want the most, I think is a surprise to no one, which is Jack and Jill, yes. um, which would be an incredible stage musical. Imagine if, if they also <laughs> kept Adam Sandler instead of having two actors playing Jack and Jill, it was just constant quick changes. Oh, we're talking Tony's. We're yes, talking Tony's. It would be incredible. Tony and Tony. And especially Dunkachino would make an incredible variety number. Imagine if they fleshed out the Dunkachino scenes as like a full musical number. Um, I should oh, do that, man. Yeah, I might. Maybe I'll do this as a bit show um, when <laughs> when we're back in theaters. I'll do, do it. a Jack and Jill yeah. musical. I like it. I I, th- I think that that's a real. I mean, that's a money maker. I'm spending um, one hundred dollars. Wow. To see Jack and Jill or Dog Day Afternoon. I think Dog Day Afternoon, you're absolutely right. I think that one would stage. be genuinely good. 
yeah. Dog, day, dog day would be genuinely good. Yeah. Jack and Jill would be a wonderful experience that you tell your grandkids about. Them. Oh man, yeah. it'd, be, it'd be like uh, you know how uh, I had a friend who uh, when he was in New York for the uh, UCB. Uh, what was it the the improv festival? I, DCM. DCM. Yeah. yeah, when he was there, like uh, he got high and watched the SpongeBob musical, and he said oh, it was yeah. like one of the best experiences oh. of his life. And it'd be like you'd do the same thing for Jack and Julia. SpongeBob is also just a, a great musical. If I don't know if it's still available on Netflix, but um, if anyone wants to watch SpongeBob, it's it's a genuinely very good musical. <laughs> I actually the, was like listening to that when I, drove, when I drove Lyft yeah. a little bit. I was like, I, I am almost. Except I'm not. Ash- I was a little ashamed. I was like, "Damn, I should not be enjoying this musical about a cartoon sponge." No, as you much. shouldn't be ashamed at yeah. all. The songs in that show are incredible. Hey, hero is my middle name. Um. <laughs> so I I feel that Devil's Advocate would make for a very interesting stage-bound Ooh. musical. Yes. yes. But I mean, I, I obviously we're going with the Irishman. This is the musical we want to see. An epic journey across American gangsterdom. Play and you know, how are they doing the de-aging on stage? Who knows? Oh my God. Let's see it happen though. Yeah. I mean, and and I'm saying on this one, we're like much like with Jack and Jill bringing back the original cast. Yeah. We're doing the same damn thing with the Irishman. Did Bobby D, Joe Pesci, Harvey Keitel, and of course Al Pacino. We'll all be forced to do six <laughs> nights a week in a four-hour musical. <laughs> it, it is what it is. It's not yeah. what it ain't. Yeah, there we go. All I ask of you, <laughs> leave the door open. You know, something like that. Yeah. I think uh, we could do an entire thing about Jimmy Hoffa loving ice cream. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think... Uh, yes. I, th- um, I think... We're- we're the, we're the people for the job, too, Patrick, as two of the biggest Irishman fans. <laughs> oh, yeah, total freaks around. for the Irish. Yeah, we love that damn Irishman. Irishman freaks. Yep. We've mentioned it before. We'll mention it again on an upcoming episode. Um, oh, wink. Well, wink, wink, wink. Yep. But, yeah, I think that all of these are, um, these are winners. Call yep. Broadway. We got, um, when things reopen again, wouldn't that be spectacular when the quarantine is over? And everyone's going back out to musical theater again. And every single play going on Broadway was based on an Al Pacino movie. That would be pretty surreal. What a time to be alive. Yeah. Scent, <laughs> scent of the Woman, the musical. Scarecrow, I, that, the musical. That's je- scent of a Woman, the musical, actually sounds like it, uh, it would exists. be on the table. That yeah. sounds like that. They it feels like they've yeah. already done it. I don't believe they have, but it, yeah. it uh, seems I mean, like, like a logical move into that world. If they've done Groundhog Day, they'll do Send of a Woman one day. <laughs> like it's only a matter of time. Like they're 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 running through IP like tissue toilet yeah. paper. Like they can't. Like, I'm in the dark here. <laughs> but yeah, that was um, that we you know I think that we as usual. Just killer, killer ideas all the way around. What an episode. What a time to be alive. The Insider has defeated Heat. We're blown away. <laughs> Jessica, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, oh, no problem. This thank has been an absolute blast. Damn Two really good films I um, never, ever would have watched otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're hoping for. <laughs> uh, do you have anything you would like to plug on the way out? 
Yeah, I'm gonna plug my bird. Um, ah. uh, if Good listeners bird. were wondering, in the what was the, the bird's vote, by the way? Um, she didn't like either. Really, I guess she would have preferred the insider too because it was more quiet. Um, I see. Not a not a huge fan of the, uh, the not as many gunshots. Yeah. Um, but my bird was very very polite and quiet for the first half of recording, and then just in the last uh, last half decided that she needed to make an appearance on this podcast. Um, but I would like to plug, um, our next Twitch show, which is going to be at 9 p.m. on May 7th. Our Twitch channel is Wild Improv. Um, and other than that, I guess just my Twitter, which is my last name. It's at Svensgard. Um, and that's all I can think of. That's all. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been an absolute, just a ter- terrific time. Great conversation. Uh, before we head out, Patrick, is there anyone you'd like to thank oh, for man. this episode? Uh, I'd like to thank Miracles because we just freaking witnessed one. Uh, <laughs> freaking witnessed one. It's like the freaking Kurt Russell film over here. Uh, I'd like oh, to- yeah. <laughs> um, I'd like to thank... Uh, just uh characters that are only in the movie for like 20 minutes or 10 minutes but like feel like they've completed an entire arc uh during their <laughs> duration of their existence uh i'd like to thank uh uh zencaster for uh having uh for scaring the hell out of me because it does look like it's not recording me but i'm just gonna fight through it it is i'm gonna thank uh <laughs> oh gosh i want to thank uh just you know i usually don't thank people in uh i don't usually don't thank actors in the thankies in the thank you portion but i'll thank diane verona for being in both thing movies it's a lot of yeah. a lot of pacino to witness her, her number her number one fan patrick Ramion. very good uh i'd like to thank uh let's see i also <laughs> want to thank uh just getting high and watching a wonderful musical that's yeah. like a, I once, uh, oh my God, I once had like the worst, I once got high with a friend and saw Shrek the musical, uh, at a, a, uh, performance in like, I think it was a Carson, uh, at, like the local theater in Carson. And it was like a truly, for me, that was a truly horrifying experience. That was like, I felt like I was, uh, <laughs> I was witnessing like, uh, it felt like I was in like, uh, what's that, uh, book, uh, What's the, you know, the book that Apocalypse Now is based on? You know what I'm talking about? Heart of, um, Darkness. Heart of Darkness. Yeah, it felt yeah. like I was in the heart of darkness. It felt like I was witnessing, like, a void. Like, I was just, like, uh, whatever the opposite of, like, touching God feels like. When I saw Shrek and Fiona having a fart off in the middle of that stage, and I was high out of my mind. That was, like, yeah, it felt like I was touching and it Felt like I was touching anti-God for a split second. Truly horrifying. Uh, never want to relive that memory. <laughs> Uh, and then I, I want to thank uh, casting uh, non-actors as actors. Uh, case in point, uh, not only uh, was Mike Moore cast as himself in The Insider, but the actor who plays uh, Schwartz in Heat, like kind of like he's like the the fifth like guy in Al Pacino's group of guys. He's sort of like the one that gets like maybe like the least like uh, lines. He's played by Jerry Trimble, yeah. who is like a two-time world kickboxing champion, and it's like only, only like Michael. Hell Mann. yeah! Oh, it rules. He slaps, and like he's great. Like just being like a dude who's just there to look important. 
<laughs> he just like that's all he and so like that's it one i love it yeah i love it go. those are my things he's the young he's the younger one who gets shot yeah yeah i uh i gotta thank um just a very simple on the note of casting actors as actors i gotta thank the concept of casting actors by their real names as characters we're talking yeah. trejo as trejo we're talking debbie as debbie yes um i i gotta thank annoying your neighbors when you show up for film shoots when they just want to get a little sleep and they start a war zone you know it <laughs> happens here in los mm, angeles Ho- yeah. hollywood tales yeah I gotta think, this is just solid genre filmmaking. You don't see enough of it these days. We saw it tonight. And I finally, I gotta thank my first year class uh, in the inaugural class of the Don Saunderson Teaching Crying School. It's oh, open. Man. If you want to come, I will show you how to cry at the end of movies. You know, whether it's an action thriller like Heat or a tragedy like Sophie's Choice, I'm there. I'm imagining it'll be, I hope it's just the school like Sin of a Woman, where it's like I have to like wear a fancy coat and like. Ooh, a- are you a bad man? <laughs> a bad man! <laughs> I hope your car doesn't get covered in paint, sir. I know. I I just hired James Rep. No, he, unfortunately, we lost James Rephorn, but yeah. a comparable. Ooh person yeah. to J- the great James Rebhorn to be the dean All of right. this school. He doesn't deserve the job. Mm. Doesn't. <laughs> no. But we got these snotty brats, man, because I, I um I let in all kids whose parents buy SAT scores. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lori Laughlin and your your kids welcome at yeah. the crying academy. Like what the crying, yeah. <laughs> William H. Macy, for, invite your daughter in. She's yeah. fine. She'll do great here. Yeah. We're just teaching tears. Oh my goodness. Well uh, on that note, we uh next week. We're taking a look. We are moving into the another side of our division mm. for the first matchup in that in that bracket, which is of course Christopher Nolan's the in the not insider Insomnia Ooh. versus Jerry Schatzberg's Scarecrow. I uh, believe I imagine both are streaming. Both have nice Blu-ray editions. If you want to go to your local video store and check them out. Um, recommend it before going into next week's episode so for our guest jessica jessica Svensgard, for my co-host patrick thank you so much for listening thank you so much and uh, bye